Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. I am Todd Dandruff with Telus. Today is June 2nd at 12.56 p.m. Pacific Time. This is being recorded live from Las Vegas at the World Series of Poker. And I've already had quite an adventure here in my very short time in Las Vegas in this early World Series. And uh, we will talk about that. This show was hastily thrown together and hastily scheduled for a few reasons. And... I guess I might as well tell you now what those reasons were in case you don't know. So originally this show was supposed to be on May 27th at I think like 5.30 in the evening, something like that. Uh, I could not make it because I ended up meeting with my parents that night. So I I was going to dinner with them and I I figured that uh, since I was going away to the World Series of Poker that uh, I I needed to spend the time with, with family and not to uh, spend the time on radio, to do the radio and by myself at the World Series of Poker. That's what I'm doing. So I said, okay, well, I have an open day on June 1st, provided I don't make deep day two of the Omaha 8 event. The Omaha 8 event uh, began on May 31st at 3 p.m., and I figured that making day two wasn't that unlikely, but getting all the way till 8 p.m. on day two, that was much less likely. So I said, okay, I I think 8 p.m. tentatively scheduling for day two should be a pretty safe day to schedule radio. And I even gave some wiggle room. Okay, if I'm still in it by, you know, up through 10 o'clock, if I'm out by 10 o'clock, then I'll still do radio. Well, uh, I was still in at 10 o'clock on June 1st. So... I had to cancel radio, but we haven't done radio very much recently. We haven't done radio for a few reasons, because the World Series coming up, because I got sick. So I think we only had two shows in the month of May, and I really did not want to go even longer. Because if, if I didn't do it today, I'd have to wait all the way till June 7th, probably, which is the next scheduled show, by the way. So this is only five days from now. But I didn't want to put that long of a wait, because it really breaks the momentum of Poker Fraud Alert Radio if we don't have a regular show. I mean, sure, a lot of the audience will come back, a lot of the audience will find it again, but people get into a routine of listening to it every week, of looking forward to it every week, of enjoying the show every week. And if it disappears or becomes irregular, then we lose people, and I've seen that in the ratings. I've seen the ratings plummet when we have an irregular schedule. I see them kind of slowly rise if we have a regular schedule. We lose some people, we gain some people, but overall it slowly rises, which I'm happy to see. But when we start having erratic schedules, which I can't help that much during the World Series, but the more erratic the schedule, the worse our ratings get. And I know it's a pain in the ass for you as a listener to track down what it is. I mean, sure, you can just look and download or have it uh, automatically sent to your device, but I like trying to keep on schedule as much as I can. But at the same time, realizing that uh, I'm not being paid to do this show, it's something I'm doing kind of as a hobby, and it's got to go in between other things in my life, including the World Series of Poker itself. So I rescheduled it for June 1st for uh, basically family reasons, just to spend time with family that I had with them before the World Series. I decided that that wasn't a good use of my time right before the World Series was to hole myself up into the radio studio for six hours. So I moved it to June 1st, and of course, I just told you what happened there. 
So here we are on June 2nd. Of course, if you've looked at my World Series of Poker schedule, I have an event on June 2nd. So why am I not in that event? It's uh, 1 o'clock p.m. right now. Why am I not in the event, or why am I not starting at like 3 o'clock, as many events do? Well, it's because the event is at 8 o'clock tonight. It's a satellite. It's a mega satellite to the Omaha 10K. And this event is less of a big deal. It's much shorter. It's over much quicker. It's a fast structure. Uh, it's a one-day event, of course. And that one I don't need quite the physical stamina that, that I needed for the Omaha event that uh, is very long that I'll get into when I describe it. But but still, uh, I don't want to show up after talking for six and a half hours and feeling worn down, as I always do when radio's over. I don't think that's fair to me or the people who bought pieces of me. So I'm going to stop quite some time beforehand so I have some time to relax and recuperate before going down there. And I can start the event uh, feeling 100%. So this will not be a long show. That's the reason I'm giving you this speech here. Is If you're, if you're here to tune in for a seven-hour show, I guarantee, I guarantee this time it's not going to be a seven-hour show. I don't care if Brandon comes on and, and introduces a hundred hilarious tangents, as he does. When Brandon comes on, it's, it's very entertaining. It's very funny. Uh, we talk about a lot of weird topics that uh, a lot of people find very enjoyable. This time, while Brandon's welcome to come on, we're not going to have tangents. <laughs> we have to get through the schedule, or maybe a tangent or two, and we have some hours to do the show. But we have a number of topics to cover, and uh, and when the time's up, the time's up, and I've got to go. So it's not going to be a long show. We're probably looking at about four hours or so. But it's either that or zero hours. And the good news is if you say, hey, well, I'm used to a longer show. This sucks. I'm going to be right back in about five days, and that show can be longer. Because that day, it's pretty unlikely I'll be playing. Uh, much more unlikely than yesterday. So, uh, I'll run through the agenda real quick, or as quick as I can run through the agenda. As you know, I'm not uh, known for quick agendas, but I'll run through it as quick as I can. Tell you about the free roll, which you have a little time to get into. By the way, I have a tip for you. If you don't play the free roll much, or if you're kind of on the fence if you want to bother with a free roll today, I think you should play it today. Because the ratings today are very low. I'm looking right now. The ratings are very, very... In fact, it's the lowest I've ever seen it. Yeah, so Some radio hosts try to pretend, oh, we have thousands of listeners out there. No, I'm not going to do that. Right now, I'm, I'm sure when this goes up in podcast format, we're going to get the usual number of downloads. But as far as live listeners, we have the fewest right now. Because uh, this isn't a convenient time. You would think it is. You'd say, okay, well, look, you know, 1 o'clock in the afternoon Pacific time, that means... Pretty much everybody's awake. People on the West Coast are awake. People on the East Coast are awake. Uh, people in Europe are awake. In England right now, it's only 9 o'clock at night. Even in Australia, they're just getting up in the morning, some of them. So you would think that this is a great time to encompass all time zones around the world which listen to this show, and we get a lot of live listeners. But... First of all, the schedule jumped around so much, and I decided pretty much at the last minute when this show was going to be. Like, really at the last minute. And then second, people are out doing things. It's Saturday. So there's a lot of people that use their Saturdays to spend with family or run errands or exercise or go out and play poker. There's a lot of people doing things today. And people who listen live, prefer it at night when they can just wind down with the show. 
but I can't do it tonight because I'm in a, a satellite to the Omaha. So this is when I could do it. Anyway, my point is the free roll is going to have a small field, a very small field. I almost thought of canceling it. I said, nah, we've hardly had any shows, so I don't want to get out of the habit of having the free roll. Like, usually I'll, I'll just say no free roll when we're having an unusual time like this. But I said, what the heck? For those that are troopers that are listening to this show, I don't mean Trooper 97, by the way. If you're listening, I don't care about you. But uh, for those of you being troopers listening to this show at, on Saturday afternoon, I appreciate you, and for that reason, we're going to give away $100 of Eric Benzamokin's money. I met with Eric, and uh, my first time ever meeting the guy. It, it's possible I played with the guy a few years ago, I think at 14, at Limit Hold'em. He finished like 11th that year. It's possible I played with him because I cashed that year. I finished like 66, so we may have been at the same table, but um, I don't remember playing with him, and he's kind of like a nondescript middle-aged white guy. No offense, Eric, but I, I know I am too, so I can say that. So <laughs> anyway, um, I, I met with him. Very, very nice guy. We had lunch together, and uh, I really appreciate all his generosity to the show and uh, someone I, I like very much personally, even aside from that. So thank you to him for $100 for this week's free roll. And this is the way the prize pool is going to go. $50 for first, $25 for second, 15 for third, and 10 for fourth. That's 50, 25, 15, and 10. That's in the No Fraud Online Poker Room, which you can find near the top of the screen on PokerFraudAlert.com. You need a totally separate account on that poker room from the forum. But you do need to be registered on the forum to qualify for the free roll at least to qualify for the money. Go to PokerFraudAlert.com slash FreeRoll for information. PokerFraudAlert.com slash FreeRoll for information. Exactly as it sounds, all lowercase, PokerFraudAlert.com slash FreeRoll and read about the requirements for the free money. Because if you don't qualify, then tough luck. Also, you need your account approved. If you're not already approved for the free roll by Poker Room Manager Belly Buster, then you cannot play. It just won't let you in. And don't complain to me. You'll have to register on the forum and message Belly Space Buster on the forum. Private message him that you'd like to play. If this is too complicated for you to figure out how to do, then you can't play the free roll. I'm not holding your hand. So Belly Buster, he makes all the decisions. He runs the poker room. He's out there in England. And that's actually where the poker room is. While the server for Poker Fraud Alert is not in England, the poker room itself is in England. You're actually playing on a computer in England. So that's the free roll we do pretty much every show we have. We have a free roll ranging from 50 to several hundred dollars being given away. Cash money. You can collect your winnings by bank transfer, by Bitcoin, by other electronic methods that you might be able to think of. Maybe a service that's been around for uh, almost two decades where people send money to one another. Maybe when they buy things on the Internet. Uh, What's, what's the name of that servant? Oh, I don't remember. Just it's off, off the top of my head. I, I, I can't figure it out. I can't figure it out. It's on the tip of my tongue. I can't figure it out. It's, it's some service that's been around since, like, I think 2001. A, a very well-known service. I, I just don't know its name. But I, I might be able to send you that way, too. So 50, 25, 15, and 10 are the prizes. And who knows? You might even get, like, only five players. <laughs> Maybe almost everybody will get paid. Maybe it'll be, like, like a bubble and that's it. A bubble and four caches. So, 
Uh, it begins at 1.30 p.m. Pacific time. 25 minutes of late registration means registration closes at 1.55. It's not like the World Series of Poker where you can late register for eight levels, which is insane. If we did that here, the tournament would be over already. But uh, eight levels, they let you <laughs> late register with a full stack. Here, I give you 25 minutes, which I think is far more fair. I think I'm a better... Uh, well, I think me and Belly Buster are better managers of a tournament than the World Series is. But uh, you know, to be honest, they've actually done a pretty good job this year, which I'll get into in our extensive week one coverage of the World Series of Poker, as we do every year. And something I love about the World Series is being able to talk about it on this show. And I can talk about it from a perspective that's different than many in poker media because I experience it personally. And I experience it in various ways. I experience it as an observer. I experience it as a player. I experience it as a media person. I actually do have a media pass and, uh, uh, you know, I actually am poker media. You, you can laugh at that, but <laughs> I actually am poker media. So I experienced it from several perspectives, and I've made it clear to people to come to me if they have any concern about anything that happens at the World Series. And I will either talk about it on the show or bring it to the attention of people like Seth Polanski, who, who do listen and sometimes will take action, or, uh, or both. And people have learned that over the years. That's how we've broken many stories on here that others have not had. Like, remember when uh, Jared Blesnick got banned for life from the World Series and then was suddenly back three days later and no one could figure out how that happened. He he tore up cards and they, they banned him for, for life and then he was back and no one could figure it out and no one would talk about it. And I got the, I got the answer. I got the answer. It was Phil Helmuth who did it. And then later, Jack Effel admitted that it was Phil Helmuth who did it when uh, Poker News picked up my story and questioned Jack Effel about it. And he reluctantly admitted. So I'll tell you this about our World Series coverage. We're still on the agenda, by the way. <laughs> but I'll tell you this about our World Series coverage. Some people misinterpret this show as being anti-Caesars or anti-World Series of Poker. We're not. If I was anti it, I wouldn't play. I have principles. I don't... I don't just come here and, and play and then say I hate it. That would be stupid. I'm not going to do something I hate. I'm not going to patronize a company I despise. There are actually companies I stay away from because I despise them. But Caesars is not one of them. We just give honest coverage of the World Series. There are poker media entities which are on the take pretty much because uh, there's advertising and other things that uh, are done. And uh, they will only say positive things about the World Series and promote them. There are entities and individuals out there who are anti-World Series and find whatever excuse they can to slam the World Series and Caesars. And sometimes I've seen that these criticisms are unfair or untrue. And then there's me. I am neutral. I want the truth out there. I want the good and I want the bad reported about the World Series. And I do it with really, really a, a neutral perspective because I like the World Series itself and there's aspects I like about it and then there's aspects I don't like. And same with uh, the company Caesars in general. So if they screw up or if they do something stupid or do something that I feel is wrong, 
Of course I'll call it out. But I'm not looking to call something out that's wrong. And there have been times when people have come out with very, very unflattering stories about the Rio, about the World Series. And I could jump on that bandwagon and sensationalize it. But then I'm the voice who stands up and says, no, you're wrong. They're actually okay. They didn't make a mistake here. You guys are wrong. The players who are saying this are wrong. I've done that before. And we'll do it again. Okay, so we're going to have a big World Series of Poker discussion, which I really enjoy talking about. Like, I, I think I, this is one of my favorite times of the year for radio because I can talk about all these things that happen at the World Series. Always different aspects to talk about, both about the tournament itself and, and the drama surrounding it, which, which always exists because poker players are full of drama. And having a company like Caesars running it make, makes it even more dramatic in some ways. Also, I want to give you a new update on the potential Las Vegas hotel and worker strike, which supposedly began yesterday, but didn't really begin. But it's not uh, totally out of the woods. We'll discuss what's going on with that, the labor situation in Las Vegas with a, as many as 50,000 people could strike, which would really cripple the city. Delaware, I'm not talking about Bert Enslin, the former listener to this show and poster on the forum, very beloved uh, member of the community who passed away. Um, we're not talking about him. We're talking about uh, the state of Delaware. They, they're they really getting online very quickly with legalized sports betting. I shouldn't say online because they're not actually getting online online. They're, they're up and running, shall I say. They will be in three days. Delaware will have legalized sports betting available on June 5th, much sooner than anyone thought. They will be the first non-Nevada state to offer full sports betting. Remember Greg Pearson of Ultimate Bet. I guess we can safely call him Ultimate Bet Cheater, Greg Pearson. Now, while Greg may not have operated the cheating accounts himself, I have no evidence that he did that. Um, he definitely assisted in the cover-up. He was definitely one of the people at the helm of UB while it was going on. It was actually uh, his software's tool that allowed the cheating. And uh, he was involved in the cover-up. A lot of very, very uh, shady things about Mr. Pearson, who has uh, since gone on to found a company called Iovation, which is now a much more legitimate operation and is very, very successful. Uh, we have some news about Iovation. And... Unfortunately, it's not good news for us. For for Greg, it's good news, but not for anyone who dislikes Greg or anyone associated with the UB cheating days. Boomtown Reno, which is a casino in Reno, Nevada, is in trouble with the Nevada Gaming Commission. Yes, they're in trouble. What did they do? Did they do something bad at the casino? Did they cheat some players? No. Boomtown Reno on their website, offered affiliate links to illegal gambling sites. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine a, 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 just a regular Nevada brick-and-mortar casino on their website having links to illegal gambling sites? They're an affiliate? <laughs> so that, that actually happened. And Nevada Gaming, which, which hates these offshore illegal gambling sites with a passion... They came down on them pretty hard, and that's an ongoing situation, so I'll tell you about that. 
Justin Bonomo, who hasn't been my favorite person over the years, uh, he was embroiled in a multi-accounting scandal more than a decade ago. To his credit, since then, I believe he's played honestly. I think this was a youthful indiscretion, but nevertheless, he did it. Uh, and it was kind of a jerk for a while. And is also a big-time uh, social justice warrior. You know what I think of them. Uh, it was also a jerk to me at the table a few years ago. Uh, to his credit, I, I got him like like four times last year at my table at the World Series, including the main event. I, w- I will say that Bonomo was very, very polite and pleasant to me last year, as opposed to that other year where he just, for no reason, started up with me and was a total jerk. Uh, this Last year, he was very, very nice and pleasant and soft-spoken. So uh, I'll say that for him. But um, I don't think he cares what I think right now because I think the only thing on his mind is that he can't lose in poker. Imagine if you could just keep playing high roller after high roller and just keep winning them. Just, just every time you sit down, you win. He has had an insane 2018. We're going to talk about his latest win and what type of year he has had. Usually I don't like talking about tournament news. It's boring stuff, but... This is pretty amazing what Bonomo is doing so far. And, you know, I'll give him credit. Obviously a great player and uh, having amazing success. Definitely a a future Poker Hall of Famer. As I said, I I don't care for the guy's personality very much. uh, But uh, I I will say, we'll talk about this more in the segment, but I will say that I don't believe he's a cheater or a scammer. I think those days are behind him. It was more of a, probably a youthful early mistake in his poker career. But, you know, there's those in poker who do stupid things and learn from them and don't do them again, and there's others who uh, are career cheaters and scammers. I, I think he's the former. So we'll talk about Justin Bonomo's 2018. Finally, when you have a win at a poker room and you have a lot of cash on you that you want to take out to your car, you may be afraid to walk out of the poker room, and maybe some people who saw you winning or cashing out will follow you there and mug you. I know I've had that thought. So how do you get that cash out of the poker room? Well, you can just sneak it out of there, as I have done before. <laughs> I've, I've just taken very large sums of money out and just hoped nobody was going to rob me at that point. Uh, or you can have security escort you to your car. But what if security, instead of preventing the criminals, what if instead of helping keep the criminals at bay, what if security are the criminals? That happened in Texas, at a Texas poker room. And I'll tell you about that situation. And by the way, this is something I have worried about in the past. When I've made my choices as to whether I'm going to walk out alone with lots of money on me or take security with me, that has been one of my considerations is can I trust security? Sometimes the answer actually is no. My, my paranoia for years has been validated. So that's our agenda on this lovely afternoon of June 2nd, 2018 at the World Series of Poker. As I said, I'm in Las Vegas. You, you can try to find me may not be too hard to figure out where I am, but don't bother to make my phone ring because uh, I've taken steps to prevent that. The listeners here are very resourceful. It's very hard to hide anything from Poker Fraud Alert radio listeners and Poker Fraud Alert forum members. That, that's how we collected all this money from JSIP. And I shouldn't say we. I didn't even do anything. But that's how our 
users collected all that scam money from JZIP. Scam money meaning the money he scammed from them. Is that it's, it's hard to rip off this community or screw this community and not have them find you without having the community find the facts. There's a lot of smart and resourceful people in this community. There, there really are. So it's hard to get anything by them. So no matter where I am, even if it's not obvious, no matter where I am, uh, if I say I'm in a secret location and give any sort of hint where it could be, even a small hint, my phone rings during radio. And I don't mean my cell phone. I mean the hotel room phone. So um, I decided that I'm just going to take steps to prevent that this time without having to interrupt the show to stop the phone from ringing. Even though it's kind of funny with the phone ringing. I'll admit that. But uh, you know what else is stupid? People call the phone during radio and I actually answer and then they won't talk. They're afraid to talk. Okay, let's just get going here. Can't waste too much time because then I'll run out of time. Free roll starts in nine minutes. $100 for grabs and you'll have a small field this time. You should have a small field. So, let me see if we can get Trader Ruski on the line. Calwatt, he may not be available because Calwatt is a good family man. He really is. Yeah, he's, he's, he's at a festival with his kids. So, that's what I thought. That's what I thought because Calwatt is a very good dad. Very good husband. I'm not just saying this to kiss ass or say the politically correct stuff. And I just knew he was not going to just tell his family on Saturday afternoon at 4 p.m., okay, guys, screw you, I'm doing radio for the whole day. And it's harder for him to do this than me because it's not even his show. At least with me, I can say, well, this is my show. If it doesn't take place, if I don't do it, it doesn't take place. His wife knows that if he doesn't do it, it still takes place. Um, by the way, Adam Schwartz, who I played with at the World Series, gave a high compliment to Cal Watts, saying that uh, he really liked him. He volunteered this, saying that he really liked Cal Watts as a co-host. And I do, too. I think he's a great co-host. So let's uh, find Trader Ruski, who told me he's available. See, Trader Ruski, he doesn't have kids. So that makes it easier to reach him on days like this. If Trader Ruski had kids, he probably wouldn't be around either. This is why I need a co-host like him, in addition to Cal Watt. Because uh, Trader Ruski, hey, yeah, you don't, you don't have kids uh, on Saturday that you have to play with, so you just I, I knew you could be available. Yeah. I don't. Yeah. With, so did you never want kids or it just never happened? Why, why don't you have kids? No, it just never worked out. I have a couple of god kids that are now in college. Oh, so, okay. you know. Yeah, it, I mean, it was, it. it was like that for me for 38 plus years where I just, uh, I, I wanted kids. In fact, I, I pictured in my life when I was younger that I was going to have kids at like 25, but that didn't come close to happening. And as I started getting older, I was going to, you know, I, I don't know. Like, I, I just, I wasn't finding the right circumstance to where I felt that it was time to do it with the, with the person I was with. I wanted to make sure that who I did this with, that it was going to be you know, something that I thought was going to work out long term and all that. Anyway, 
we, we just uh, it just didn't happen. And I, you know, while I didn't have a biological clock, you know, I could have kids any time. Being a man, I thought, well, I don't want to be too old though, starting the whole thing. So it's in that way, it's a little bit running out of time. But uh, so finally, at, at age thirty-eight and a half, I did it, and now I have my one child. So anyway, but I, I can kind of understand you know, where it's going. It just doesn't happen. You have to find the right woman to have them with. That's that's critical, I think. You do so. Anyway, uh, thank you for joining me on this this off day uh, for Poker Fraud Alert Radio, and I'm going to get going discussing the World Series. So we're not too far into the World Series. Unlike other years, when I have arrived at the World Series, kind of mid-June, which has been kind of typical recently, I, I'm back at the World Series at the beginning, which I haven't been for a long time. I think uh, since the year, I think the last time was the year that Benjamin was born, before he was born, like a few months before he was born, I came here at the beginning. Or Actually, I, I didn't come here, I was already here in Vegas, but uh, I, I don't think I have been at the World Series on May 31st, as I was this year, since back then. I can't be sure. i got to look back at my schedule, but it doesn't really matter. The way the schedule broke out this year, the events I really wanted to play were all spread out. It was like they designed the schedule on purpose. Like, let's, let's make Todd spend the maximum time here at the Rio. So they, they spread them out enough to where I was going to have to be here a long time if I wanted to play a lot of those events. I still have to skip some, but uh, I, I just noticed making the schedule, it was pretty much impossible to not have a long World Series schedule this year unless I wanted to miss some events I really wanted to play. And then once, I, once I'm here, then of course I'm going to play events the next day or the day before. You know, you know, so you know, once you're already here, then you play a number of events because you don't want to show up, play one event, and leave. At least I don't. So as some of you know, I started playing Omaha about two years ago. I, I decided, I just decided, I, there's a, a guy who listens to this show. You guys don't really know him, but he, a, a listener to this and a previous radio show who I got to know over the years. And he has been urging me to transition to Omaha 8 or better and add that to the games I play because uh, he told me he did it. He said he was a limit hold'em player like me and that it's, it's the basically the closest game to li- limit hold'em there is as far as the skill set translating. And, and I could, you know, what I knew from what I knew about Omaha 8 or better, I knew how to play, I just wasn't good at it. I realized that was probably true. So two years ago, I embarked on the journey to become a better 08 player. So I went from an 08 superfish who had played very few hands in my life, you know, knew how it worked, but other than that, uh, sucked and didn't really know the strategy very well. Uh, to playing it and then moving up to playing it at a mid to high level. So facing a lot of good players and kind of learning on the job, so to speak. You know, I was, uh, the, the only way to get better at these games is to actually play them. And I didn't just want to play against fish. I wanted to play against people that, uh, had a clue what they were doing. Because my goal was to play 08 at the World Series. And to do that, you have to know how to play against good players. So, I did that in 2016, played a lot of hands. And then played my first Omaha event. And, unfortunately, I ran really bad. And I was out pretty quickly. 
But I enjoyed the event, and I noticed there were a number of people in that event who were not very good. Even in my limited experience by that point, I could tell I was one of the better players at that table. Like, I remember sitting there thinking to myself, I didn't say it out loud, thinking to myself, wow, I haven't been playing this game very long, and yet, like, most of these guys at the table, I know I'm better than them. I wasn't being, like, arrogant there. Like, I, I could see some very obvious mistakes that several at the table were making. So I said, you know, already I'm happy with my decision to enter this event. This is two years ago. But I said, when I get better at this game, then I'm going to be really happy with this event. This will be an event that I really look forward to, much like I look forward to the 1500 limit event, which I have a big edge. So, limit limit hold'em, that is. So, last year I could not play it due to scheduling issues. Didn't play it last year. I did play a, a mixed Omaha event, which was that and PLO8 and Big O, and again ran bad, but that was another good event. That was the only Omaha I played last year, as far as World Series events. So I had only played two Omaha events lifetime, ever. Not World Series or otherwise. Those were the only two I played in my life. The 08 in 2016 for 1500 and the 1500 uh, mixed Omaha last year. And neither did I get very far. So this year I came back, and as I was driving to the World Series, I thought to myself, I want to cash in one of these. I... I want to cash in all of them, to be honest, but I want to cash in at least one of these and, and get a cash on my World Series of Poker resume that's not Hold'em. That's, that's my very, very first step goal. Not not that I didn't want to win, not that I wasn't playing to win, not that I was playing to min cash, because I wasn't, I promise you that. But uh, I thought that would be cool if I, you know, when I look at my results, I see you know, Omaha 8 or better on there. So... Uh, I was really hoping that would happen. And as any player will tell you who's an 08 player, you really need cards to win in that game. Uh, more than no limit hold'em for sure. Even more than limit hold'em where you also need cards to win. But boy, do you need cards to win on 08. And when I say cards, I don't mean like a starting hand necessarily. That helps too. But uh, you, you need your hands to hold up. In 08, it's different than hold'em where... In Hold'em, you can have your opponent totally crushed pre-flop. You know, aces against kings, especially aces against ace-king. You really haven't crushed there, like 19 to 1. Uh, there's no situation like that in 08, where, where heads up, you're totally crushing another hand. That doesn't mean you, you play trash in Omaha. You, you definitely don't do that. But I'm saying that uh, uh, pre-flop, you never have anyone really crushed. So uh, for that reason, and because it's a split-pot game, there's a lot of variance in it as far as uh, the way the flops come down. And since it's a tournament format and a limit tournament format, uh, especially at the later stages, you, you lose a few hands in a row, you're done. So I knew I needed cards to survive, but I said, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to try to play as well as I can and try to really concentrate on the players at the table and um, you know their styles and try to adjust to them and see what I can do here and uh, be disciplined, not let myself get emotional when I go in a slump or start losing, and, and maybe I can cash in this thing. And that's what I did. So I ended up playing over 18 hours in this event. I don't mean including breaks. I mean not including breaks. 18 plus actual hours sitting at the poker table 
playing 08 in this event, which is a lot. That's, that's a lot in a tournament that's not the main event, if you think about it. 18 hours. And I did cash, fortunately. It wasn't 18 wasted hours. So 911 people entered. They always get a pretty good feel for this event. 911 people entered. As you might imagine, these are not 911 top 08 players. Now, I will say, at least the players I played with, you didn't have totally clueless people. Like, you didn't have people that just knew almost nothing about the game sitting down, or, or ones that thought just, you know, the top pair is going to be good the whole way. Like, you didn't have that. Some people have this fantasy, they're going to sit down, they're the only ones who, you know, that half the table's not going to even know how to play 08. There's just going to be no limit holding players who don't understand and want to play anyway. Now, in years past, yes, not anymore. I think just about every one of those 911 people understood the game. And understood, you know, what's a good hand, what's not a good hand, and how that differs from Hold'em. But uh, at the same time, I saw a lot of players who either didn't understand proper tournament strategy in general, or were playing very bad starting hands that they should never have been touching. Uh, things like that, that over time at the table with them adds up. And when I saw things like that, I said, okay, great. So it looks like uh, I have an edge here for sure. It was also nice that I got a table draw that did not really have any very tough players. There was nobody I recognized at my first table. Uh, I'm not saying everybody was bad. They weren't. Uh, there were a few good players at the table. But not like like known successful 08 players or, or ones that are really, really tough to deal with. You ca- it kind of a, mi- a mixture of a few solid players and, and then a number of mediocre players. That was the makeup of our table. Mediocre meaning they, they knew what was going on, they generally had an idea to play, but they were making some big mistakes as far as starting hands and, and general tournament strategy. So I knew as long as I ran okay, then, then I, I should have a, a decent shot at this one. So fortunately, I never had any long period where I was getting beat down on the first day. Uh, I was never killing it, I was never crushing it, but uh, most of the day I was spending above average and often... You know, more than one and a half times of average. Sometimes close to two times of average. I think I was even double average at one point. So that was uh, that was nice. There was one period where I lost a bunch of hands in a row, but uh, it was still early enough to where I only lost about a third of my stack. So I engaged in the discipline. I told myself I'm not going to get emotional. That's one of the things I promised myself this year. I don't tilt, but I do have uh, a little bit of a frustration problem. At the World Series, where if I start to slump, I just start to get negative and think, oh, this is it. Okay, I'm going down the drain. I'm going to lose now. and It's just not a good mindset to be in. Again, I don't tilt, but it's hard to play your A game when you're you're feeling that way. So I, yeah, when I started to lose some hands in a row on day one, I said, okay, you know, this is just a 1500 event. It's just the first event of the year. You know, I've just got to, whatever the cards fall, if they, if they, if they beat me, that's the way it's going to be. And... I'm not owed a cash here, so I, I, I calmed myself down. And uh, I finished the day. Now that I, we weren't that close to cashing. I think 296 people out of the 911 finished. And 137 would cash. So close to half, but fewer than half of the remaining from day one would cash. And I was 66th. So I finished 66th out of 911 on the first day. Obviously above average chips, even of the remaining 296. 
So I felt good. I said, all right, I think I did a good job. It's definitely my best showing by far in an Omaha event as of day one, my first non-Hold'em day two ever. But it's far from over. I could sit down and get beat down and not catch. Brandon was also in this event. Brandon has been an 08 player for longer than me. In fact, in my early days of learning it, I would call him and ask him questions about it. And uh, he unfortunately... uh, had struggles. He was doing better than me at first, but then he went into a, a, a tailspin. Not not his fault. He just was losing hand after hand after hand. And he was down to very, very little. All in three times, but uh, survived all three all-ins. Though he told me these were with good hands and that uh, he was never really in danger. But he, he survived three all-ins and then ran it back up. The starting stack was 7,500. He ended up running it back up to... Uh, 18,800 when the day was over, which I believe was his high for the day. So even though he was a little bit below the day one average of 23K when the day was over, he was close to it, and he had run that back from nothing, almost to average chips. So he he felt good at the moment. Uh, I had almost double what he did, but obviously he would have rather been in my spot there, but given the cards he got and given the situation he was in, he was thrilled to make day two with an almost average deck. Unfortunately for Brandon, uh, the day two... He just lost every hand. He just sat down and lost every hand. You know, anybody who's played tournament poker has been there, where you just show up to day two and just get crushed. The second you sit down, bang, 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 lose, lose, lose. And it's depressing. Like <laughs> You come in with all this hope, and then you sit down and just get destroyed. And that's what happened to him. The deck did not cooperate with Brandon on day two, and he was gone very quickly. Uh, to my direct right was Adam Schwartz. And yes, the Adam Schwartz. I didn't realize this. What I always do when day one is over of a tournament I play and I make it to day two, and some of you may not know this, uh, they publish pretty quickly, surprisingly quickly. Whoever does this is a data entry whiz. But they enter all the information of who's going to be at your table, the list of chips from top to bottom, so you can see everything about the end of day one pretty quickly. Like, they get it up within an hour, which, given how much they have to enter, is pretty amazing. So props to whoever enters this data. I I mean, I would have pictured it would take, like, four hours to get this up online. Somehow they get it up in, like, an hour. So I always make sure to stay up to get that because I want to see who's going to be at my table, and if there's people that I feel like want to research on the Internet, I do, so I know who I'm playing against. So uh, I always wait for that, and I saw in the initial list of people I was playing against, that there was only one person whose name I recognized, and that was Chris Vitch, who's known as Death Donkey on 2 Plus 2. You may have seen him around. He's a a tall, white guy in his 30s with uh, big, curly hair. Nice guy. He's a nice... uh, nice guy who's been around poker for a long time, very good player. He's a, a, a limit player like me. He's, he will tell you himself that he's uh, mostly a limit player, but uh, um, he has a bracelet, I believe, and uh, so I recognized him. But other than Chris, I didn't recognize anyone else at my table as far as their name for day two. I was only looking at the names at this point. This is before day two. Uh, there was a guy from BC, from British Columbia, named uh, Rudolf Schwartz. 
Yeah. Uh, I just kind of ignored that name. I said, I don't know any you Rudolph know Dasher and Dancer and Prancer and Vixen, Comet and Cupid and Donner and Blitzen. But do you recall the most famous reindeer of all? Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer had a very shiny nose. Yeah, so Rudolph the Red-Nosed Co- uh, Canadian was going to be at my table. And I had no idea who that would be. I didn't really think much about it. Until Adam Schwartz tweeted that he's at my table. I said, wait a minute. I didn't see Adam Schwartz. So I went back and looked, and he was actually Rudolph. I had no idea that uh, Adam Schwartz was actually Rudolph. Then one foggy Christmas Eve, Santa came to say... Okay, I'll stop. I'm sure he's heard this so many times in, in his many years on this earth. I'm sure... I'm sure he's so sick of, of the Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer jokes. I'm sure he's heard this since he was, like, in kindergarten. Probably why he goes by Adam. Yeah, Rudolph Schwartz, a.k.a. Adam, was at my table. I had met him for the first time the day before. He was with that Hanson kid who was also in the event and did not make day two. Uh, I, met, I met Adam when he was standing there with, with Bart. And... Uh, but here I was going to have him at my table, and it just so happened he was placed right next to me. But Adam also ran very poorly. He immediately lost, like, every hand. And when our table broke, which is only, like, an hour into it, he was down to almost nothing, and I was sure, like, within five minutes he'd be gone. Well, to credit Adam, he spun it up to a decent stack again. But uh, it didn't work out for him. He was about 40 from the money when he busted. So, uh... It was nice meeting Adam and talking to him, and he listens to this show. And there's there's several people that listen to this show that came to Poker Fraud Alert because he mentioned on Two Plus Two that he listened. So it's one thing for him just to listen. It's he actually has mentioned on Two Plus Two several times that he listens to this show. Sometimes when referencing a story that we've covered that they want to talk about too, and sometimes just to be nice and say, hey, you know, this is one poker podcast I really enjoy. So, uh, I'm happy to finally meet Adam. He said this is the only tournament he usually plays every year. So I was hoping for his sake that he'd cash, that he could just uh, go home and say, hey, the one tournament I played, I cashed. When you only play one tournament, you, you kind of have more emotionally at stake with it. Where you think, okay, I've come all the way to, to Vegas. I'm playing this one tournament. I'm either going to go one for one or oh for one. It's different than when you have a, a long schedule of tournaments where if you bust, you go, okay, I got the next one. No, not here. <laughs> That's the only one, so... Uh, Rudolph, sorry, Adam, he, he came close, but not quite. Again, uh, shut down by the deck. So, sorry about that to Adam. But, uh, so it was interesting. We had, uh, at least, uh, three co- three podcast hosts in the field on day two. Also making day two, with a lot of tips, actually, was Raymond Davis, of Real Grinders fame. And Alan Kessler. Raymond Davis is wearing shirts with Alan Kessler's face on it. He had a bunch of Alan Kessler shirts made, mostly making fun of Kessler. I never understood, and I still don't understand, the relationship between Kessler and Raymond Davis. Because uh, on the surface, it appears that they're enemies. On the surface, it appears that you know, Raymond Davis is always making fun of him. Uh, Kessler is posting tweets and Facebook messages criticizing Raymond Davis often. 
But yet, uh, I see them hanging out together sometimes, and uh, Kessler even signed one of the shirts that was making fun of him. I don't. I still don't understand that relationship. I even mentioned it when Kessler walked by during the event. I mentioned something about Ray. He says, "Oh, I don't keep track of. Ray. I don't care about Ray." Like <laughs> he's acting like again, like this is an enemy of his. I don't know what's going on with them. But uh, Ray Davis and Alan Kessler both made it with a lot of chips to day two. So uh, interesting field to watch. Uh, for those of you that are old Neverwin Poker community members, you might remember Woodrow. Good friend of uh, Brett Ritchie, Get Crunk. Uh, Matt Woodward is his name. He also finished uh, day one with some chips. So, day two played out. And I immediately got off to a decent start. I wasn't killing it, but I was uh, fairly quickly up above the day's starting total for me. I came in with like 32k. I was up to 50, then back in the 40s, then you know, back over 50. So I wasn't worried about busting. In fact, it started to look like for a while that it was pretty likely I was going to cash, barring a big losing streak. So that's what ended up happening. Uh, when the bubble came, I wasn't even close to busting. So I knew I was going to be cashing not only my first 2018 event, but also my first non-Hold'em event ever. And I did. And unfortunately, the final table I was at, I don't mean the final table, I mean the last table I was at, which I was at for a while, I just was not picking up hands there. I got moved there, I got dealt junk after junk after junk after junk after junk. And then when I, I when I'd be in hands, uh, I, I was mostly chopping the pot or stealing the blinds. I was I was getting nowhere. I did have one lucky hand where I had a big draw. I had pocket jacks and four or five suited, and I had a big draw with it. But uh, maybe it's pocket jacks, three four suited, something like that. And I ended up uh, hitting the jack on the river to make a boat and scoop the whole pot. So that that was like the one good-sized pot I won. But everything else there was kind of just spinning my wheels and I couldn't get anything going. But I did last for a long time. I wasn't losing big pots. I wasn't uh, in a tailspin or anything. I just uh, wasn't really winning there. And eventually, as the blinds kept going up, and the average stack kept going up, and people were busting, uh, I became short-stacked, and eventually I was out in 59th place. Uh, there was something that happened which is embarrassing, and I'm, I'm even ashamed to report this to people who uh, invested in me. But, uh, you know, mistakes happen. This is a long freaking event. It's a grind. Okay? It's a grind here. Ten full hours of play on the first day. I don't mean with break. I mean without breaks. Ten full hours sitting at the table. You come back. You, you sleep. There's just enough time to come back and sleep and, and, and come right back there. Because basically it's, you, you finish at 2 a.m., you come back at 2 a.m. So you have time to eat and, and sleep and then get ready and come back. And then I'm there all the way for another uh, eight hours, eight-plus hours before I busted. So 
kind of about an hour before I busted, I was already short stacked. Uh, it it appeared to have folded to my small blind. Now, to my left, the big blind was an old man from Canada, and this guy he actually did something pretty amazing. He somehow nursed a short stack from like I don't know twenty before the money all the way through like sixty first place is amazing. The money was like at one thirty seventh. He just somehow took the super short stack and never ran it up. It's not like a guy who ran a short stack up and survived. He had the short stack the entire time. He was just so tight, and then the few times he actually got it all in, he would win. So he just he never busted until finally his luck ran out on him, and and, uh, and he was gone. But this guy was uber tight. So obviously, if it folds to your small blind, and you have a guy like that to your left, you, you raise with any four cards, which which I did. Now... My hand wasn't that terrible for a small blind to big blind confrontation. It was Jack three six seven with two diamonds. Not a wonderful Omaha hand, but uh, you know, blind to blind, especially against the guy who folds almost everything. Obvious raise. So, I said raise, and I was very confident the guy was just going to lay it down. And I, you know, the the blinds were. Uh, It was twenty five hundred five thousand at that point, so I put in ten thousand for the raise, and then they say to me, "What? That's fifteen. And when I heard that, I knew what must have happened. How could it be fifteen if the blind is five thousand? How could a raise be fifteen in a limit game? I realized that I must have missed that somebody raised before me. Bad news when you have a hand like Jack three six seven <laughs> in the small blind and you're short stacked, and now you've just three bet someone who probably has a stronger hand. Now, fortunately, you know, unlike Hold'em, you have a lot better chance to win with a weaker hand. But still, I was like, oh my god, how'd I do that? That was the only time in the entire tournament I, I made such a mistake. Well, of all people, would you believe the one to have raised under the gun that I didn't see was Ray Davis? So I'm like, I can't even pretend this didn't happen. I know Ray Davis is going to come back on Real Grinders and, and mock me about this. So um, I had to play it off. I, I didn't want to make it seem like I was blind stealing and didn't realize Ray had raised. And by, this, this, this can easily happen to you after many, many hours of play. And the problem, this, this particular table had an auto shuffler right in front of Ray, and it was a very kind of like distracting felt. And they've changed the chip colors, which I've explained before in a previous show. So it just kind of blended in, and I just didn't see Ray put it in under the gun. I must have looked down for a second and didn't see him put it in. And uh, it was the only time the entire tournament I did that, or did any like boneheaded mistake like that. And I'm like, oh, right when I'm short-stacked at this stage of the tournament, it's terrible. But I wasn't going to say that, otherwise it would have shown weakness, so... I said, oh, yeah, that's right, it is 15. <laughs> so I, like, I acted like my mistake was just putting out 10 instead of 15, that I just based on, on the amount rather than, like, I wanted to make it look like I really meant the 3-bet Ray, I just put out the wrong amount there. So uh, I corrected it to 15. Of course, the big blind, super tight guy folded, and Ray called. So I'm like, please let me hit this hand. Well, um, I, I hit, like, a pair of sixes or something, because obviously that's not what you're looking for here. So I tried to, it was a, a, a flop that Ray could have easily missed if he had like an ace-deuce type hand that a lot of people are raising with. So at least it wasn't an obvious flop that's going to hit an under-the-gun raiser. So I figured I'll, I'll fold Ray who, uh, you know, he's not a crazy player. But hopefully he'll just say, hey, I missed it and drop it. So he, I bet he called. So 
by this point, I said if I don't improve on the turn, I got to just check fold and keep what's remaining of my chips. So I, I, in fact, the turn got worse. So I was ready to check fold, and he checked. Then the river, it got even worse because it it would have made the ace deuce low, which I thought a, a, Ray probably had. And so I I checked. If he had bet, I actually would have folded. I was I, I still only had a pair of sixes, so I was, I was going to be done with the hand. I checked. He checked. Uh, yep, he had an ace deuce low and and no pair, thankfully. So we split the pot. I got out of it. <laughs> so. So, of course, uh, so th- at that point, I admitted to everybody what happened. And Ray had a good laugh about it. And then during the break, he's like, what was that hand again? i gotta, I got to put this up with real grinders. So, actually, I beat him to the punch. I actually, uh, I busted before he did. So, I, I made sure to get it on real grinders before he did. I said, I, I better tell the story rather than him. Otherwise, he's going to say, you know you know what that fish Todd would tell us just did? So, anyway, fortunately, this didn't hurt me. I actually gained a few chips from it because we split the pot. We basically split the big blind. And, and gain that. I think we gained yeah, we gained uh, 2,500 chips, which at that point is nothing, but uh, and neither of us lost there. So thank goodness for that. But uh, the funny thing is, like, I was relentlessly checking for this throughout the event. Like, every time I'm going to raise where it seems like it's folded to me, I'm, like, checking very carefully. Okay, did he bet? Did he bet? Did he bet? Like, I'm going around the table to make sure nobody bet. And then still I screwed this one up. So I guess after all those hours of play, eventually it's going to happen. Uh, Trader Risky, have you ever done this before where you you think that someone didn't raise and you say raise and then you realize that uh, or, or you put out a raise and it turns out someone's already in? Has this happened to you before in a tournament? Oh, yes. Yeah, I think this happens to everybody. It's hard not to. Like, you can say that if you've never played the World Series before, especially if you're like an online player, you go, oh, you know, what an idiot not paying attention. For 18 hours in two days, you, you, you try you know, never making a mistake like that in all those hands. It's very tough. So, yeah, especially the last couple of hours, it's like you can easily miss those things. Yeah, you have to be very conscious of it. Yeah, and I and I was except that one hand somehow it got by me. So thankfully it didn't hurt me. So anyone who bitches, oh well, you, look, look what you were doing, you invested in you, you blew our money on that. No, I didn't. I I actually split the pot and it was okay. So uh, anyway, I went out fifty ninth. Not a very exciting and just got ground down and put it in with a decent starting hand with, uh, well, decent for how many chips I had left and uh, what the blinds were. And actually it flopped a pretty big draw, just airballed it, and that was it. So out 59th, cash for 35.26. 1,500 was the buy-in, so started out with a cash, started out with a profit, for both myself and the investors, not a huge profit, but uh, since they've introduced the 15% of the field caching, it used to be 10, which a few years ago they changed it to 15, I've really gotten screwed, because I have never once cashed between 10 and 15% of the field remaining. Every time I've cashed, I've made it to the final 10% or better. Yet before they had this change, I had a ton of finishes between 10 and 15% where I was missing it. Like, I, so many times I'd outlast, like, 87% of the field and say, oh, I wish they paid 15%. <laughs> so all those times it happened, and then finally they change it, and then I, I seem to never cash between 10 and 15% anymore. And this time was no exception. So what happens is it hurts me because I would have been paid more money. So it used to be that when you cash, you would get double the buy-in. Not here. Here, the min cash was like twenty-two something, 
which means you only make like 700 something out of 1500 buy-in, which sucks. So at least I, I more than doubled it by going from 1500 to 3526. So, and, and of course, I, I wasn't playing for the pay raises. They're, they're very slow. I was playing uh, to win, but that's where I got. So 59th out of uh, 9-11, my first Omaha 8 cash. And we will see where this series goes. Maybe it's a sign that uh, good things are to come. Uh, tonight, I'm playing the Mega Satellite, which uh, $1,100 buy-in for the satellite. Not a cheap satellite. The most I could end up winning, the best case scenario, will be them giving me 10000 in Lammers and $100 cash. That'll be the very best case scenario. Like, like For those of you who don't know what a Mega Satellite is, you, you keep playing until there's enough money to pay out basically 10 times the, the entry fee minus you know, what, they, what they take for, for the house for all the remaining players. So here, whenever there's enough money to pay all remaining players... 10,100 plus some change for the, the last player. So all the remaining players but one. Once there's enough money to pay that and then they pay the last guy whatever remains, uh, that's when it just stops. So there's no first place. Last year I played the Limit Hold'em Mega Satellite and got a few spots away from making it, but did not make it. It's a fast structure. It begins at 8 p.m., uh, unlike the 08 event, which was a very nice structure, in fact, this year they even introduced a double level. Level 3 was actually the same blinds for level 4. So you had more of a chance, kind of, beginning middle day 1 to hit hands without the blinds escalating really big, which was nice. Most people liked that. A few people complained that it made the event too long, and it did... Yeah, it was a while. We didn't cash until midday 2. A lot of people didn't like that. A lot of people don't like a ton of play for a 1500 event, but uh, especially at Omaha. In Omaha, unlike Hold'em, you're splitting so many pots, so it prevents you from busting as fast. So, it's a long event. This 08 event is a very long event. It it may be the longest running 1500 there is. But, uh, at least I cashed. And uh, tonight's 08 Mega Satellite is a very fast structure, so it will be over fairly quickly, so this way everybody can go back and get some sleep before the following day's 10K event, which is what this satellite is too. Now, you don't have to play the 10K event. You could use the Lambus for anything. You could even sell them under the table to someone. But uh, I'm playing the 10K either way. So I have three 08 events in a row. That's how I'm starting my World Series. No, no Hold'em yet. All 08. The 08 event I already played and cashed. The 08 event tonight at 8 p.m., and the 08 uh, on uh, on Sunday, tomorrow, at 3 p.m., the 10K. That's the big one. I really hope I've cashed in that one. So I have to play those three before I even touch Hold'em. My first Hold'em event will be on the 5th. And then I take a little break and uh, come back on the 16th. So I have uh, basically three events plus one satellite on my early schedule. One of which I have already played. So uh, let's take a look at the chat room. Uh, Sa twenty four says this shit happens online. You just miss it sometimes. Really, I see. I don't ever have this happen online where I miss somebody's raise. 
Online, it's like right in front of your face. There's no felt to distract you. You know, it's not all this. The felts of the World Series are so busy. It's like it's like NASCAR uniforms. Like there's all these sponsors printed on there, and then there's the then there's the big shuffle machine in some of these felts, like the one we were playing on. So there's a lot of distracting stuff. And online, there's nothing distracting. Uh, Saw twenty four says even eight tabling. I've never eight tabled in my life, so I can't answer that one. But I'm just saying, me personally, I don't get, I don't miss bets online that others have made. Live, it can happen. Live happens playing cash. Uh, it happens at tournaments. Just uh, it's especially on distracting felts, like that one is. It, it happens enough to where, like, I was very conscious of it in this event, and I was before I put my chips out or before I'd say raise, I'd look very carefully. Okay, did he raise? Did he raise? But like, I don't want to look too carefully, or otherwise, it it looks. Like, if you've got a great hand, you're going to three-bet, then you just say raise and don't care. So I, I don't want people to think I'm only coming in if nobody's raised yet. So I've got to be careful not to look too long or too closely what has been done before me, but at the same time look enough to where this doesn't happen. So I, I guess I just didn't do that right on this particular time. So anyway, uh, enough about my 08 event. Except I'll say that it is nice to get the first cash in right away on my first event. The no cash monkey is off my back. It's a monkey I have gotten off my back every single year. And I have managed to cash in all 14 World Series I've played. I started playing in 05. It's now 2018. This is the 14th one. I've cashed at least once in each World Series. Which you can say, okay, you cash once in each World Series. Big deal. Well, I don't play 40 events like some people out there. And yes, some people actually play 40 events. Ryan LaPlante, this guy is a beast. Ryan LaPlante, who, who's to my right at the second table I was at yesterday, he has 45 events on his schedule. 45 events! He's not going to end up playing them all because he'll make day twos and whatever and, and end up uh, missing some. He has 45 on the schedule. This guy's just a machine who plays event after event after event. <laughs> I don't see how... He's much younger than me. He's 28 years old. But I, I don't see how these people can do it. I would get burnt out so fast. I've got to have some breaks. I've got to have some time where I just unwind from it. If it's just relentless poker day after day after day, boy, would I get burned out fast. But maybe it's a, a function of age. You know, maybe if I was twenty-eight, I could I could do that. I can do like super long sessions of poker, but day after day after day after day, where you just have to come down and play, is crazy. He does have a backer, so. Maybe that's what the backer wants, but he seems to enjoy it. Ryan LaPlante, by the way, he used to listen to this show. I don't know if he still does. He was a listener, like, every day or every week. Then he wasn't one. Then I I wasn't sure. I I heard that there were some rumors he didn't like me much anymore, but then that turned out it wasn't true. I I don't know. He he was nice to me at the table. And he was, uh, when someone asked about Poker Fraud Alert, he said complimentary things. So, I don't know. But uh, he was actually one of the first openly gay male poker players. And uh, if you remember, uh, two years ago, of all things, he ended up winning his first and only bracelet like the day after that Orlando shooting happened at the gay nightclub. And he did like a tearful speech uh, about how he's proud to be a bracelet winner and a gay male and all that. It was actually, you know, like, 
you may think, oh, this is like some social justice warrior awful speech. It was actually a good speech. It was actually uh, – and it was appropriate for the time. It wasn't just him going up and ranting about gay stuff because he happened to be gay. Like it, they just had that Orlando shooting where a bunch of uh, gay people were massacred. So uh, – and, and it was sincere. He wasn't just going up there for attention. So I, I actually thought it was a very good speech. And yeah, this guy just is, is crazy though <laughs> the number of events he plays. So that's not me. But I am playing more this year than I have before. So it's good to get the first World Series cash out of the way. And what it means that I have never had a World Series with no caches, what that means is that I, at least I'm playing solid enough to where I'm not having a slump of like 10 straight tournaments where I don't cash. Which, yes, it can happen. But you know how tournaments are. You know the variance of tournaments. That can easily happen. So... I'm glad I got that out of the way. I'm glad this is not going to be the year where I have to say, oh, well, I went to the World Series and the entire thing was a waste of time. I cashed nothing. I know in 2018 that will not be said. So I want to get to a more interesting topic. Enough about me. I, I, I can sit here and talk about myself all day, as you guys know, but I'm not going to anymore. I'm going to talk about Chris Ferguson. Chris Ferguson was the World Series of Poker Player of the Year 2017. This caused some controversy in a few ways. Uh, first of all, because of Chris Ferguson's history with Full Tilt and stealing our money on deposit. Second, because he did a lot of it by volume, by just playing event after event after event and racking up a lot of min caches. Now, he did better than min caching in a lot of them. He had some very nice finishes, but a lot of his points were racked up by min caching, and this really got people angry that just someone who has the time and money to travel around the world. This is not just the World Series in, Le- in Vegas. Yeah, he was traveling around everywhere where you could earn World Series points and playing. So since he had the time and money to do this, and of course a lot of that money was stolen from us, uh, he was able to rack up those points. And a lot of people felt that was unfair. And they felt the system was stupid too. So... Ferguson uh, basically min-cashed and volume-played his way to Player of the Year for World Series, uh, the World Series of Poker 2017. And that made a lot of people upset for those reasons. And he knew he was coming back, of course, in 2018. He wants to repeat. This is not someone who's hiding anymore. This is someone who wants to, to play tournament after tournament after tournament. And he has seen that there's been a bad reaction to him people don't like him anymore. So, he knew that this year the vitriol may even be worse because there's a renewed spotlight on him for being player of the year. Had he not been player of the year, then this would be kind of old news about what happened in Full Tilt. But since he was player of the year, everyone would be thinking about him. And then when you show up, like everyone's anger would be at a higher level than it was previously. So Chris Ferguson must have talked to some friends and said, what do I do about this? And someone, maybe his agent, maybe a friend, someone suggested maybe it's time to apologize because, Chris, you've never made a public statement about what happened. You never put out an apology. I think that's just what the players want at this point. It's seven years later. They got paid back, most of them, though I'll cover shortly why some didn't get paid back and why some really got screwed. But most of them got paid back. Not by Chris, not by Full Tilt itself, but they got paid back. It's been a lot of years. Maybe some people are willing to get past it, but what's really 
burning some people up inside is that you've never spoken about it. You've never apologized. So, Chris, maybe it's time to do that. He was probably told. And he probably said, well, yeah, but I, I, all these people troll me and harass me during the World Series and say nasty things to me. It's a very hostile environment. I just, are you sure? And the person probably said, oh, yeah, yeah, Chris, you just need to come out there and apologize. You, just, you need to come out and say something. The, the silence is pissing people off. So Chris took that advice. And shortly before the World Series, about a week before the World Series, I think it was on May 23rd, May 24th, he did put out a statement. Here it is. Hi, it's Chris Ferguson. I'd like to take this brief opportunity to address the poker community, which I love and have been part of for a long time. I deeply regret not being able to prevent Black Friday from happening. After Black Friday, I worked relentlessly to ensure that all players got paid back. And I sincerely apologize that it took as long as it did. I also realize that it has taken me a long time to make any sort of public statement, and I appreciate my fans and the poker community as a whole for their patience and support. One day, the full poker story will be told, and like many of you, I look forward to that day. I hope to see you all at the World Series of Poker this summer. Thank you, and good luck. <laughs> so, that was a statement, this, a 41-second statement. Did it sound very sincere to you? Did it sound like someone who was really apologizing that felt bad? Does it sound like someone just speaking from the heart? Or did it perhaps sound like a cold, insincere, pre-prepared bullshit statement that he put out hoping that it would be enough to where you would not harass him if you saw him at the table? Did, did he write this thinking, I'm going to put this out, I'm going to read this on camera, and hope that everyone's stupid enough to believe I really mean it. I think everyone who watched this thought it was the latter. Everybody watched this and couldn't believe what they were seeing. They could not believe that he recorded this, watched this, and thought, yeah, this is good. This is going to get everyone off my back. This will make things better. This will improve the situation. People are going to watch this and go, oh, yeah, Chris seems like a good guy. Chris is sincere. Chris feels bad. Chris wants to tell us the story, but can't, but will soon. So, someone just messaged me. He looked weird in it also. <laughs> he, he did. He did kind of look weird. It was so so uncomfortable to watch. You can go find it. If you just go, uh, go on YouTube and uh, type in Chris Ferguson apology, or apologizes, and you'll find it. But everything was wrong with this. It was very insincere. It was obviously being read. It was way too short. It was 41 seconds. I mean, if it's 41 seconds, at least memorize and rehearse it a few times. Why not just speak off the cuff for 41 seconds? I can understand writing something out that's six minutes long. It's hard to memorize. But 41 seconds? Just, just speak for 41 seconds and say, hey, I'm sorry about what happened uh, for reasons I can't explain. I can't tell you everything yet, but I will one day. Uh, I just want to assure you it's, it's not what it appears to be. Something like that. But, but I'll, you know, I really apologize. I understand why everyone's so mad. Like Something where you just speak like human to human, where you put yourself in the place of the people who are angry at you and tell them you understand their anger and you understand why they're frustrated 
and then tell them how bad you feel and tell them that uh, in the future you'll tell them more and give like a little bit of a reason why you can't tell them right now if you can't tell them right now, but tell them as much as you can right now? Something like that. Or, or don't put out anything at all. But you can't just put out a 41-second prepared apology that you're reading off a piece of paper or if a teleprompter, whatever is in the background, and think that the poker community is going to be stupid enough to believe this is a sincere apology. This Well, and just starting off saying that because he's sorry Black Friday happened. Yeah, well, well, it's that, just, all the other that had nothing. I mean, you know, yeah, it really had nothing. Well, it's, it's funny you mention this because uh, given that it was 41 seconds, I wonder, did he really plan it to be this short or is it perhaps was there a longer version of this that got edited down? So I did some research, as I told you earlier in the show, I I do my research on this show and I, I haven't told anyone this till now. Not even you, Trader Ruski. But I was able to obtain a longer version of this statement uh, that was recorded in uh, like like the day before. He did a version that's about twice as long, about a minute thirty six, and uh, he recorded it and was just about to post it and decided to cut it down to about half half the length and cut out some of the content that he didn't want out there. So someone anonymously sent this to me. And I'm going to play this for you guys. It's an exclusive on Poker Fraud Alert. The Chris Ferguson apology that was meant to go out there, but ended up being changed to the one you had heard before. Hi, it's Chris Ferguson. I'd like to take this opportunity to address the poker community, which hates me and will probably heckle me this year at the World Series of Poker. So here's my attempt to read a totally insincere, prepared message in a monotone voice, which I somehow hope will improve the situation for me. I deeply regret not being able to keep Black Friday from happening. I thought we bribed all the right politicians, but apparently we must have missed a few. It is really a shame that Black Friday happened, because if it hadn't, we could have gone on longer stealing your money on deposit without anyone realizing it. After Black Friday, I worked relentlessly to make sure all players got paid back. You might wonder what I did to make that happen. If you remember, we surrendered Full Tilt to the government in exchange for not being prosecuted. Full Tilt was later bought by PokerStars for $750 million, and some of that was used to pay back the players. So had I not kept my own ass out of prison by surrendering Full Tilt, you wouldn't have been paid back, and therefore your refund was my doing. I also realize that it has taken me a long time to make any sort of public statement, and I appreciate my one remaining fan for his loyal support. One day, the Full Tilt Poker story will be told, and I look forward to that day. Keep in mind it's only been seven years, and we need time for the dust to settle. While I cannot make any promises, I hope to have that story for you in the year 2042. I hope to see all of you at the World Series of Poker this summer, but only if you were dumb enough to believe this apology was sincere and unscripted. Otherwise, if you say even one critical word to me at the table, I will call the floor man on you. Thank you, and good luck. Yeah, so that was it. That was actually the statement he was going to put out, and then uh, I guess someone advised him to cut out some of that stuff that uh, he didn't want you to hear. So, Trey Risky, were you able to hear it? I think I'm having problems uh, getting sound over to you today. Nope, I heard it. Oh, you heard it? Clear. Okay. <laughs> so, I mean, what you heard there is what he really meant, what I just played. That's what he really meant. And that's what he, you know, with Black Friday... They really did bribe uh, Harry Reid, by the way. That wasn't a joke. <laughs> he was bribed a million bucks to 
get poker legalized, online poker legalized. And that was investigated, but uh, because the Obama administration was in charge during the investigation, they killed it. I'm not even kidding. I'm not making this up or just being partisan here. That's really what happened. But uh, so they tried to bribe Harry Reid a million dollars. They uh, they had that whole Sun First Bank in Utah processing payouts. But they so when he says he's sorry, he couldn't prevent Black Friday from happening. Some people think, what, what do you mean? How can you? How could you have prevented it, Chris? What he's trying to say is like we're, we're sorry that uh, our actions with the payment processing that we were trying to get done uh, unfortunately got the attention of the government and, and Black Friday happened. But what he is leaving out, the very, very important detail, was Black Friday is not the reason you guys lost your money. They didn't have your money. That had nothing to do with Black Friday. Black Friday just stopped them from being able to continue the theft. When Black Friday happened, Full Tilt had no money. The government said, okay, well, you know, where's the money to pay the players? And Full Tilt's like, "Uh, well, actually, we don't have it anymore. It's gone. So the only reason anyone got paid back is because PokerStars bought Full Tilt, which was surrendered to the government. And then some of that money was used to pay back the players. So Chris did not work hard to get you paid back. Howard did not work hard to get you paid back. They worked hard to keep their own asses out of prison. And the way they did that, and the way they did that, you know, they avoided further civil penalties as well, was by giving up full tilt to the government as a settlement. That, that was the asset that the government accepted basically as a fine, which the government knew they could go turn around and resell, which they did. They, they sold it to poker stars. For $750 million, which PokerStars mainly paid that exorbitant price as kind of their own fine to get out of their situation from Black Friday. So yes, it's true that the agreement that Lederer and Ferguson and Ray First and Ray Batard, it's true the agreement they made to surrender it to the government indirectly led to everybody getting paid back. They didn't do it for you. They did it for themselves to get themselves out of trouble. And then the government took it from there and got you paid back. Now, if you want to thank anyone for getting paid back, you thank Poker Stars and you thank the government. That's it. And by the way, the government did not have to pay you. The government could have just confiscated the money. Why did they pay you? Because, just for appearances, the, the government didn't want to make it look like that they were seizing player money. The government was trying to seize money from the criminal organization, which was full tilt. Criminal meaning they were operating against the law. They wanted to keep that money, but uh, they did not want to keep money stolen from players, even if the players were technically playing on an illegal site. That would be, it would be a bad look for the government, so they decided we're going to pay back the players, and keep the rest, which is what they did. And then they actually used some of that money later, which surprised me, to pay back people who got screwed by UB in the same way. But anyway, that's that's what he meant by I couldn't keep Black Friday from happening, was the payment processing we were doing led to Black Friday. And then he also meant... I'm sorry that anyway, I worked hard to get you paid back. What he really meant is I worked hard to keep my own ass out of jail, and you got paid back as a side effect of that. Uh, 
Matt Glantz said that this statement, he said whoever his agent is, or his publicist, something like that, whoever his publicist or agent who, who told him that this was a good idea should be fired. <laughs> and that this message he put out is really a sign that Chris Ferguson is very, very out of touch. And he's right. Some of these poker celebrities are really out of touch with the mainstream poker community. Chris Ferguson really thought that putting this out was going to help him, not hurt him. This is this was about as bad as it could have been. Aside from saying, fuck you all, I don't care what you think, I stole your money, haha, nothing you can do about it, I got away with it, F you. That would be the only thing he could have said that was worse than this. Maybe, maybe that would have been better, actually. At least I would have been honest. <laughs> um, this, this was the most insincere apology. This reminds me of like when, when you're five years old and you punch another kid and then your mom sees you and your mom grabs you and pulls you over and says, uh-uh-uh, you don't hit. Tell them you're sorry. Tell them you're sorry. And your mom makes you say you're sorry. And you say a very, very insincere, insincere apology to the kid you just punched. That's what this was like. This was the most insincere, stilted, weird, uncomfortable 41-second apology I've ever seen. I, it just... I, I can't imagine... He looks at this and says, yeah, this is a good final product. This this is a good video to post up. I, I think this will get people to like me a lot better now. <laughs> and I, I like he talks about his fans, too. That just sounds arrogant in itself. I want to thank my fans... When you've done something like this, when everyone's pissed at you, when your concern is being heckled at the World Series, you don't talk about your fans. Even if you believe you have fans, even if you have remaining fans that don't realize what happened or don't realize the extent of your involvement, you don't say the word fans in that apology. It makes it, makes it seem like you're kind of above everybody here. You're a celebrity. I want to thank my fans for not judging me for stealing their money. <laughs> Actually, that would be a better statement if she said that. She said that. Uh, so I want to play this again. you got to hear this again. This is a, an insane apology. The, the insane part is that he thought this would actually be a good idea. That's, that's what still boggles my mind. Hi, it's Chris Ferguson. I'd like to take this brief opportunity to address the poker community, which I love and have been part of for a long time. <laughs> which I love and I've been part of for a long time. Yeah, I can tell you really love it. I really love you guys. I've been part of this for a long time. <laughs> like, like right when I heard that, the first few seconds, I'm going, oh my god, Like, is this the way it's going to be? Why not just start with, hi, I'm, I'm, forget hi, I'm Chris Ferguson. Like, we know who you are. Like, hi, I just wanted to address the situation with full tilt. I know it's been a while. Something like that. Don't... don't the poker community, which I love and I've been a part of for a long time, said he's already off to a horrible start. I deeply regret not being able to prevent Black Friday from happening. Yeah, you, I already explained that part. After Black Friday, I worked relentlessly to ensure that all players got paid back. See, that's that's another thing there. You can't lie if you're going to make a statement like this. Because then people are going to get pissed and tear it apart. You, you can't lie and say you worked relentlessly on this. You, you can't make it sound like you've done them a favor 
that, that all this time you've been helping them. You've been selfless when you haven't been. If you haven't been selfless, if you haven't really been thinking of the players and their interests, don't pretend you have or it will piss them off in your apology. You can't pat yourself on the back in an apology. If there's something they misunderstand about you, you can clear it up, but only if it's true and you can prove it. Otherwise, you, you keep the back patting out of your apology. When you screw up... There, I'm not going to go into the story. There, there's someone... I, I shouldn't say I screwed them up. There, there was someone recently that I... Through something I forgot, I, I caused them some headache. Okay, It was someone in poker. Uh, it doesn't have to do with anyone here, but I caused some, some headache for uh, actually a few people for something I forgot to do. Okay, And... Uh, I called up the main person who was affected, and, and I was very apologetic. And I didn't say, hi, this is Todd Wittellis, and I've loved the poker community for a very long time. Like I, I called up and I said, look, I messed up. I, and I explained why I forgot. I, I said, this isn't an excuse, but this is why it happened. This is the truth of what really went down, of why this thing slipped my mind. And uh, you know, I'm very sorry about uh, what occurred here, and I felt so bad. And like, I sounded sincere because I was sincere. I actually did feel bad. And... The whole time I made sure I wasn't patting myself on the back or excusing my own actions, but rather was giving an apology that sounded and was sincere. But you, you, you can't brag about how you've worked tirelessly to get people repaid. If you, if you didn't know anything about the situation, and listen, you would think that he tried to prevent Black Friday from happening. It sounds very noble. And then when it did, he worked relentlessly to get you repaid. I mean, what a great guy. So the problem is nobody believes this. Everybody knows that's not true. So don't include that in your apology. Like, this should be simple stuff. I don't know how anyone else... Did he share this with anyone? Did he have an agent go over this? Or a publicist go over this? With all the money he has, you'd think so. Let me go on here. Oh, see, I, I skipped back. Deeply regret not being able to prevent Black Friday from happening. After Black Friday, I worked relentlessly to ensure that all players got paid back. And I sincerely apologize that it took as long as it did. Mm -hmm. That's the first uh, real apology there, but uh, it doesn't sound sincere. I sincerely apologize. It doesn't sound like it. I also realize that it has taken me a long time to make any sort of public statement, and I appreciate my fans and the poker community as a whole for their patience and support. That's that's where you don't mention your fans. If If you've taken seven years to make a statement, you don't brag about having fans. You just say, I know it's taken a very long time. There are reasons I can't disclose for this. As th- there's a reason I can't disclose as to why it has taken so long. But uh, please just understand, I've wanted to for a very long time, and I felt it was time at least to say something. Sound like a human being. Not a robot reading off of a teleprompter. One day the full poker story will be told. And like many of you, I look forward to that day. <laughs> That pissed people off because it's been seven years. If this was like two weeks later, this would be an appropriate statement that you can't tell the story right now. Since it's only been two weeks, please give the appropriate amount of time for this to play out before I can fully tell the story. There are many reasons why I cannot speak my mind on the situation right now. Like Two weeks later, fine. But seven years later, you can't say, one day the story will be told. It's only been seven years. Why are you being so impatient? It is coming up at some point. Uh, if it's not in seven years, why will it be in, in 10 years or 15 years or 20 years? I, I don't understand. What, what is he waiting for? What, what 
maybe there's some statute of limitations that hasn't expired yet, but I, I thought this was pretty much over. I, I thought the situation between him and the government is pretty much over, and, and uh, I thought that this – I mean, someone who knows better than me could tell me this, but I would think that seven years would probably be enough to where any legal concerns he has would uh, be gone. But if not, he could he could even say if, if there let's say the statute of limitations is ten years to be completely in the clear of everything, civilly and criminally. Okay, I'm just making that up. So he says so he could say there's re- I'd love to tell you the whole thing right now. There's very good reasons why I can't, and I will tell you this. I'll tell you the full story in the year 2021. I'm sorry it's a long time from now, but that's that's the date I can do it. Then let people read between the lines that. Uh, they understand all the statutes will expire. Something like that. Or I'll tell you, you know, within a few years. Something like that. And when, when I tell you, you'll understand why the delay. And I'm very sorry. I wish I could say everything right now. But, but the way he's putting it is like, well, I look forward to that day. <laughs> it's been seven years. I mean, how, how much longer do we have to look forward to it? I hope to see you all at the World Series of Poker this summer. Thank you, and good luck. Just such an insincere ending to that. Thank you, and good luck. He doesn't hope to see us at the World Series of Poker this time. That's the reason he did this. If he could be, let's say Chris Ferguson could play in disguise. That's not allowed, but let's say he could put on such a convincing disguise that nobody would know it was him. He would do it. He wants to play, but he doesn't want to be Chris Ferguson when he plays. Because he knows that there will be a lot of people around who have disdain for him. So he he doesn't want to see us at the World Series. Ferguson's also not like a really social person, as you might have guessed. So he's not one of the pros who really enjoys being around people and socializing and having fans all around him. Not like a Negranu. Negranu just loves it. Negranu, he lives for that. That's why. That's part of the reason he's so good with his fans. Like he'll sign autographs. He'll he'll interact with the rail. Negranu is very very personable. And uh, Ferguson, that's just not his personality. Ferguson just wants to sit sit down and play poker. Ferguson was one of those math computer guys who, uh, you know, kind of eccentric and wasn't all that social. So, especially under these circumstances, he does not want to see everybody at the World Series. He's just, he's going because he wants to play. He started going again because he missed playing. And also probably wants to win these awards, you know, for his own personal accomplishments. That's why he's playing. Not for socializing. Anyway, it's, this really backfired. Really, really backfired. I didn't see one positive comment except from Phil Helmuth of all things. Phil Helmuth, who recently was seen congratulating Ferguson for winning Player of the Year, which got people angry, also decided to praise him here. So that that got people angry as well at at Helmuth, especially because there's similarity between the two, because Helmuth, of course, was the face of UB which did the same thing and worse. 
UB stole everyone's money just like Full Tilt did. And they also cheated everybody before that for years and years. And Helmuth was part of UB all the way up until the final few months. He bailed out like three and a half months before Black Friday. But he was there the rest of the time. So Helmuth uh, took a lot of heat for what he had to say. Negranu bashed Ferguson by tweeting, it took all this time for Chris Ferguson to come up with this apology. So heartfelt, had me in tears. Then he put uh, laughter emojis. My prediction, this doesn't help his cause, quite the opposite. Good prediction, Daniel. Not very hard to make. This is what Helmuth said, though. He said, "This is a, here's a video from Chris Ferguson. It's a shame that so many of the younger poker players have judged, he put in all caps, Chris so harshly. I believe the whole truth about full-tail poker will come out, and I believe the, quote, haters will be surprised. And he put in a hashtag, I am a lover, not a judge. I think Phil is bonding with Chris over this because Phil feels that he has been unfairly victimized by the, quote, haters. The problem is these high-profile poker players who were associated with these big scandals are very not self-aware. They all kind of live in their own bubbles. They weren't really ready for the fame and the pitfalls that come from that and also the pitfalls that come from situations like what occurred with Full Tilt. You know, they weren't managing it well and that's what happened and Phil didn't I don't think Phil did any of the cheating or was aware of what was going on or was aware the money was being stolen, but Phil just uh, stayed too much hands-off and let himself be a face of a site that was clearly uh, bad news. And he, he had many warnings of this, many, many warnings. It's not like it shocked him what happened, maybe at first, but he stayed on for years after that. So all of these guys don't see themselves as bad people. They don't see themselves as thieves. They don't see themselves as enablers. Chris probably really feels that he was trying to help the players. I believe that Chris felt that the decision to keep Full Tilt running when they weren't able to actually collect deposit from the banks, which is what caused a lot of the shortfall, that that was what they just had to do. That was a risk they had to take to keep the business going. I think he believed that they had a plan to keep operating with the rest of the world. Even after Black Friday to try to get everyone paid back. I think he believed that after they solved the payment processor issue that got, you know, they got interrupted by Black Friday and couldn't solve it, but that they were hoping they could solve that and then start to accumulate money again. Of course, they're overlooking the fact that they were still making very generous payouts to owners of Full Tilt while they were in the red and stealing player money. I mean, to, to be paying owners of Full Tilt distributions out of player money was insane. That's just total straight-up theft. As is ever touching player money for any reason. But they look at themselves, like like Ferguson looks at themselves and says, hey, I never tried to steal. I, never, I, I was never trying to steal from the players. Yes, we had to dip into the player funds, but that was just temporary. We just got interrupted by Black Friday. We were, we were going to make it better. Just bad timing. We we were not thieves. We were just we were doing what we could to keep an operation, 
everything was fine. No one knew. We were about. We were just. We just temporarily took the money out to to, to cover everything that we were spending, and we were going to put it back when we made the money back. And no one would have known. It would have been okay. No one would have lost anything. That's the way Chris Ferguson thinks. And he's had a hard time over the years, as has Howard, in rectifying in their their minds why people are judging them so harshly. Because in their minds, they were just trying to keep the company afloat. They were just trying to keep everything running. They were never intending to steal. I believe all that, but they still stole. You may not say, I intended to steal. Look, let, let's say you saw me put uh, $10,000 on, on a table. I wouldn't do that, but let's, let's say I was out in public somewhere and I put $10,000 on a table. And I walked away for 10 seconds, figuring you know, no one could steal in those 10 seconds. And you happened to be right there and I didn't see you and you swiped the 10000 and walked away. But as you walked away, you said to yourself, I'm only taking this 10000 because I need it right now at this moment because I'm broke. But I know that I'm a good enough poker player to take this 10000 and run it up. And as soon as I do, I'm going to take this 10000 I stole from Todd and I'm going to mail it back to him. I'm going to mail him a check and a money order for $10,000 anonymously. So he won't know who stole it, but yeah, I'm going to mail it back. So I'm not really stealing from him. I'm just, I'm just temporarily taking his $10,000 and when I make it back, he'll have it back. So I'm not a thief. Yes, you are. If you take money that does not belong to you for any reason, you're a thief. That is what they did at Full Tilt. Player money is player money. They did not have permission to touch it. Period. It doesn't matter if, if the site's going to go down. If, if the site's going to go down, you can't borrow from player money. You've either got to find others to fund your site or just shut down and pay everybody. You can't dip into player money. That is not yours to dip into. It's it's theft. That's what it is. And Phil Helmuth, he, he, the way he sees it is, hey, there were a few bad people in the company. I didn't realize it. I was promoting something that I believed in, and it turned out in the background there were a few bad people doing bad things. I didn't know that. Well, then, okay, Phil, then why were you still promoting it after the cheating was discovered? Well, I thought it was all taken care of by then. Okay, Phil, why, why did they have no money? Why was all the money on deposit on UB stolen, just like Full Tilt had done? Well, I didn't know about that either. I was just the face of the site. Well, exactly. You were the face of the site and partial owner. You needed to do your due diligence on these things, especially after the cheating scandal happened. If you continue to associate with it and promote it, then you're attaching yourself to it. But but Phil Helmuth doesn't understand, Chris Ferguson doesn't understand, these guys are all so tone deaf regarding why people are angry at them. They just don't get it. And they never will. They think they're being treated unfairly. They think they are the victims here, believe it or not. They think their name has been their names have been unfairly tarnished. And until they understand, they will not get anybody's forgiveness. So I mentioned Negranu, and he's had some good things happening for him recently. Uh, Namely, one good thing. So Daniel Negranu is the highest cashing poker player of all time. Now, he does play a lot of high rollers. 
But there's no question he's an excellent tournament player. I saw a video of, <coughs> of a hand he played recently where he just made a, a insanely good uh, hero call that I could have never made. I'll be honest. <laughs> uh, but uh, and I, I've seen I've played with the grounder personally and seen some surprisingly good plays out of him where like he just calls down instead of raising when anyone else would have raised and it, he was right. Things like that. So the guy has tremendous poker talent, especially at tournaments. And if you deny that, then uh, you're just hating on him because you dislike his personality for various reasons. I actually think Nekranu has been judged more harshly than he deserves He's really being treated by like a pariah by many in the community these days. Uh, and I, I don't think he deserves that kind of treatment when you consider the actual criminals out there that do deserve the treatment, like, like Chris Ferguson. Negranu has not stolen from anyone. He hasn't scammed anyone. He hasn't really hurt anyone. Has he become a corporate chill for poker stars? Yes. Has he made a lot of excuses for them while pretending to be on the player's side? Yes. Were those bad decisions? Yes. Has he gone overboard in his promotion of this weird choice center thing he's involved with that's kind of cult-like and weird? Yes. So by no means is he perfect, and by no means has he made all good decisions recently. His infamous More Rake is Better video, which Doug Polk has just seized on and attacked him relentlessly for, that was a bad move on Negranu's part. I mean, that, that was, again, kind of tone deaf, like I talked about before. Even though Negranu is a social person, he sometimes does lack self-awareness. And that was definitely the case. You can't just come out and try to explain to poker pros why More Rake is better for them sometimes. You just sound like a fool, especially when you're... If I were to do this, that would be a different story. You, you may say, okay, Todd, you're wrong. More rake is not better, but at least you'll understand I'm not doing this for gain. I'm not gaining anything by trying to put that permission, that, that opinion out. But when Negranu, the face of poker stars, after they've raised rake, comes out and tells you why more rake is better, then he looks like an asshole shill who just says whatever poker stars wants him to say to make them look better. And it disappoints his fans... Who always seen him as a very genuine, down-to-earth, straightforward guy, who kind of seems like he's on their side. He, up till then, he seemed like the nice guy poker pro who cares about the little guy. He'd always speak out against scandals. He even did this, you know, with Chris Ferguson. He tweeted about that. He would often be the one to speak out, and good. And I, I last time I played with Negreanu, I told him that. I told him I was proud of him for speaking out about it. That's good to have a big name poker pro coming and speaking out. And, and uh, so when you are known for that, you can't come out and release insincere videos or write insincere blogs about how more rake is better for the players, even the pros. And also uh, the first sign I saw of this from Negranu being insincere was when 
they screwed the super, the supernova elites at poker stars and uh he put out this stupid blog explaining you know basically that they weren't doing anything for the players that were screwed by this but that they were going to hold like a million dollar free roll for everybody on poker stars to make up for it I'm like, how, how are they free roll open to the entire pool of poker stars? Where a million dollars sounds like a lot, but it really isn't compared to you know, the huge pool. How is that going to make up for screwing the higher limit players on the site who grind a ton every day out of a lot of rakeback? How is, how is a free roll open to the entire site going to pay them back for that? It's not. In fact, these guys are probably not even going to bother with that free roll because it's... Uh, the fields are so huge and the payouts except for the very top spots are, are not going to be very big. So to actually write that, I was amazed that he came out with, okay, well, may not be exactly what you want, but look, PokerStars is paying you back in a way. No, they're not. Come on. A free roll, which they probably were going to have anyway as a promotion. You, you can't say that's paying back people you screwed. You can't. It's an insult. So... That was the first sign I saw that Negreanu was not quite the same guy anymore. That Amaya, the now called the Stars Group, currently owns Poker Stars. They, they kind of got into him a little bit. They kind of converted him into a shill, which he had never really been before. He had promoted things before, but he'd never really been a, a full-on shill. And that was disappointing to see. So I acknowledged all that. But I still don't think he's deserving of the hate that he gets, at least to the level he gets. He's deserving of some hate for the, the shilling and the insincerity, but I do think still he's taking more shit than he deserves compared to what a lot of other name poker pros have done. But uh, one guy who's given him shit for the long time, and, and the one who's really been the driving force behind Negranu's decreased reputation, at least among poker grinders and forum readers and ones like that and and social media followers, would be Doug Polk, who now has quite a big following himself. Doug Polk has never liked Negreanu. The two of them never gotten along. So this they have history long before this more rake better thing. You can find articles from years ago where Doug Polk and Negreanu were feuding. So keep in mind, this was not Polk saying, I don't like what DeGranu is doing. I liked him before, but now, now I'm coming after No. He never liked him. That doesn't mean what Polk is saying is untrue. In fact, you know what I've seen in Polk's videos, it's been mostly true what he's been saying. But the motivation is because he never liked him. Anyway, Polk took his trolling game to a new level. Such a high and creative level. By the way, I may have been seriously serious actually behind this, but uh, definitely Doug Polk's money. (laughs) I have to think seriously serious at least had a hand in this and possibly it was his idea. I think if I had to bet, I would say it's his idea. This really seems like something he would come up with. But uh, they decided that uh, instead of trolling Negranu through videos or tweets or Facebook messages or even t-shirts. like they Somehow Polk and Negranu again ended up next to each other at a high roller event, which is pretty amazing because Doug doesn't play that much anymore. So Doug played a recent high roller event and ended up next to Negranu. 
this is at the Super High Roller Bowl. Uh, Negreanu did win it. Or sorry, he got second. He didn't win it. He, he got second for $3 million. That's pretty good. $300,000 of the buy-in, he got $3 million, so $2.7 million profit. I don't know how much, he, how much he had of himself, but it's still pretty damn good. Uh, Polk played it and didn't go anywhere. So he busted fairly early. But he was sat right next to Negreanu. Again, he wore the More Rake Better t-shirt. He wore that the last time the two of them were together, the one drop, and that was the one Doug Polk won last year. So not only did he get to troll Negranu on camera with that more rake better T-shirt, but then won the whole event. Pretty good event for Doug Polk. This time he trolled him with a T-shirt, but did not win, and, and Negranu finished second. But despite that nice score, which brings his total cashes to $39.5 million, which is the all-time leader, uh... Negreanu probably isn't in that good of a mood, especially when he drives to the Rio these days, because Doug Polk decided to troll him not through social media or videos, but to troll him through a billboard. There's a billboard right outside the Rio. A real billboard. This is not a Photoshop. A real billboard right outside the Rio that says morerakeisbetter.com. I'm not kidding. That is the billboard outside the Rio. <laughs> morerakeisbetter.com. Because there is a billboard. The Rio is, is right off Flamingo and close to the 15 freeway. So they, they have this billboard there for people who get right off the freeway there. And And go west down Flamingo. So pretty much right in front of the Rio is a big billboard, and someone, I'm assuming seriously serious, or maybe him and Doug Polk, came out with the idea, hey, the Rio doesn't own this billboard. Why don't we just buy space on it throughout the World Series to troll Negranu? Now, obviously, you have to have some money to do that. Billboards are not cheap. I don't know how much he spent, but uh, right now, the billboard outside the Rio says more rake is better.com <laughs> and if you go to more rake is better.com it's a real site they set up now they don't say anything about Negranu on there it, it, this is what happens you go to more rake is better.com it says more rake is better to protect the players win more play longer rake is an effective deterrent to predatory players and it shows sharks in the background learn more Oh, it does have Negranu. Never mind. So then there's a picture of Negranu with bleached hair. And it says, quote, There's a lot of games where the rake is really high and it keeps pros away, dot, dot, dot. But overall, for the game, it's actually better because pros aren't playing. Dash Daniel Negranu, PokerStar spokesman. <laughs> okay, so they've changed this, I think, because I think before it didn't have the videos. At least it didn't when I looked. Maybe it didn't display on my device, but it didn't have this. It definitely didn't have this video up when I last looked. But now they have the one of the ground like lying on a couch explaining how the, the title of this video is Lowering Rig is Bad for the Ecosystem. And the site is written from the standpoint that really more rake is better. So it's, it's, it's like a tongue-in-cheek site pretending that more rake is the solution to protect poker players. So it's a parody site. 
says the solution. Fortunately, there is a simple remedy. The rake must be raised. Professional players are purely motivated by profit. Amateurs may stand a fighting chance in the short term, but over a long enough sample, it's only a matter of time until they get cleaned out. The only effective weapon on the table to cut into the professional's win rate is to heavily tax each pot they win. The player experience for those people who do not want to gamble for entertainment is heightened when money stretches out longer because they're not in the games that are not dominated by pros. Studies have shown that reduced rake eliminates casual players from the system as they get crushed by winning players. However, if the rake is too high for the good players, what we're left with is bad players. These bad players are still going to lose but they're losing less. Thus, more rake is better. <laughs> this is moving forward. Thankfully, casinos around the world and online poker rooms in particular are adapting to this new paradigm. Predatory players are steadily dropping in numbers as modern fee structures make their tactics less viable. So you see what's going on here. They're trying to make it look like a real movement to raise rake and then quoting Negranu all over the place and showing the video where he was talking about it and there's nothing he can really do about this because these are actual things he said. So it's not like they're misquoting him. He could sue them for def- defamation. Like, if he really said these things and you, you just put up a video where, where Negrano's saying this stuff, Negrano can't sue them and say, hey, you're making, making me look bad because the defense in court is, yes, well, we're making you look bad by showing what you really said. So Negrano's got to be furious about this. Furious. Now, from what I've seen, he did not respond directly to it. Obviously, he knows about it. Obviously, he must have been furious. And What a damper this must be to have won 3 million, actually, I guess it's 2.7 million if you subtract the buy-in, to have uh, cleared 2.7 million profit in this high roller event, to have just done that, to be on top of the world. <laughs> and then this happens. Like a day later, this happens, where... This goes up in front of the Rio. Every time you you drive to the front of the Rio, you see this billboard mocking you. Knowing that everyone will see this, wonder what it is, go to it and and see this site mocking you. That that is pretty strong on Polk's part. And it's got to be really frustrating for Negranu to the point where I, I wonder if it even ruined whatever good feelings he had that week from finishing second in the High Roller Bowl. It, it really might, because <laughs> I can tell you, knowing Negranu, this is really pissing him off. It's really pissing him off. This is not someone who can kind of laugh along with it. He is so sick of Doug Polk. He detests Doug Polk. He detests Seriously Serious. And this took it to the next level. The only thing Negranu has said, this... Uh, he wrote this on June 1st, yesterday at 10.25 a.m. I never used to block anyone, but then I realized it just improves my overall social media experience to block the more blatant trolls. The main, quote, trolls he blocked, by the way, were Doug Polk and Seriously Serious. He blocked a few others. That's really who he's referring to. The weird thing is he was responding to a person on Twitter named Nicholas Palma who isn't really very well known, who just wrote, I love blocking people on Twitter. No more Nikki P. Show for you. (laughs) And that's what Negroni responded to when he wrote that, uh, I I never used to block anyone, but I do now sort of thing. Uh, Seriously serious, if you go to his Twitter, 
to show you how proud he is of his own work here. <laughs> uh, he went and took a picture of himself in front of the billboard, where you can see the Rio and the billboard. And it's him and his wife with her head on his shoulder, and his wife's giving a thumbs up. If you ever want to see what Sirius and Sirius' wife look like, you can see. She does have the big sunglasses on. The big sunglasses are, are very misleading sometimes. When women wear big sunglasses. Women love big sunglasses because uh, it, it's an illusion. I'm not criticizing Sirius and Sirius' wife. She's an attractive woman, actually. Sirius and Sirius did well there. When, when I saw that you know the two of them were together, I said, you know, I said this is a good one. For Sirius. Sirius and Sirius should lock up that one. This is a, looks like a attractive woman. But uh, women, especially older women, wear the big sunglasses. And she's not older, by the way. She's like around his age, like 30 or so. But uh, when women wear big sunglasses, the human mind like replaces what's behind the sunglasses with the most attractive thing in your mind. You like you, whatever you can't see, you replace in your mind with something that's probably like the most attractive version of it. It's kind of like someone keeping their mouth closed, and you wouldn't expect there's bad teeth in there, except maybe if they're from England. <laughs> but it's kind of like that. Where if you keep your mouth closed, everyone just assumes your teeth are normal. If you open your mouth, then you know, maybe you have bad teeth and people will see and it'll detract from your overall appearance. So the big sunglasses, when you have them on, uh, it, it makes whatever's behind the sunglasses, like people picture it being better. So she, she's she got the big sunglasses on. But, but uh, yeah, she's a pretty girl. You, you, you can tell Sirius is serious, uh, you know, even with the, sun, with the sunglasses, his wife is pretty. But uh, anyway, she's she's got her head on his shoulder with a thumbs up. He's got a, a smirk on his face. Unfortunately, I think Seriously Serious has been spending too much time with Doug Polk because he's spiking his hair up now. Seriously Serious is now spiking his hair up just like Doug Polk does. Seriously Serious, I, I am not uh, a fashion aficionado. I'm not uh, a hairstyle aficionado. I'm, I'm not. But uh, usually the hair spiking is done by guys who are short and need to look taller. And what's funny about him and Doug doing this is that they're both tall. I think Doug is like the same height as me. And Sirius the Sirius is like, he's like six foot, so he's still pretty tall. But usually the guys who spike their hair up like that are just doing it to look taller. Like I, I see a lot of guys who are like five foot four spiking their hair way up, so this way they don't look as short. It's a trick, but uh, when you're six foot, you don't need to do that. Seriously, serious. Nevertheless, uh, <laughs> uh, it's a selfie in front of there. His wife with a big thumbs up and a big smile. He wrote, "Don't let your memes be dreams." So you can tell he did this, and he's very proud of himself. He did this with Doug's money. <laughs> I don't know for sure, but uh, we know he had a hand in it, and I think this is his idea. So, I mean, good job on that one. Again, while I think Negreanu's got more hate than he deserves, uh, I, I think that was kind of an appropriate troll. The more rake is better billboard. I mean, if you're going to say this, Negreanu, you got to stand by it. And I know Negreanu says, look, you're oversimplifying what I said. I didn't say more rake is better. I, I, I was trying to explain that, uh, you know... If the rake is at a certain level, a certain number of pros will stay away, which will make the game better. And 
in a small amount of defense of Negreanu, I'll say this. And I, I just I was discussing this in a different context last night, not about Rake, but I was discussing this with players. We were talking about the Commerce Games during the World Series and how they're really good during the World Series because most of the good players are at the World Series and not at Commerce. So then the Commerce Games are way better, and that's true. I, I have friends who go to Commerce constantly during the World Series and don't even set foot in Vegas because that's where the good cash games are. And that's at least at the middle and high limit. The low limit is probably the same. But uh, anyway... What I was talking about there was that it's a very big deal to remove the top pros from the game. Whatever game it is, you you remove the the top few players from the game, and the game gets much better. And a lot of people don't realize that. A lot of people think a good game is one that has fish. No, a good game is one where there's an absence of good players. The absence of good players is more important to the game than the presence of bad players. Put me in a game with eight mediocre players, and I'll take that any day over a game with four very good pros and four mega fish. Any day, put me with the eight mediocre players. I've looked at my win rate over the years, and I have crushed games where there are no good players. Even if there's no bad players. the difference, my, my win rate difference in the games where there are very few or no good players versus the ones where there are good players. It's an incredible difference. It's an incredible difference. And that doesn't get enough publicity. That doesn't get enough discussion. Everyone has been trained to believe a good game is either an action game or a game with a lot of fish. The best game you will find is one where there are no players at the table at your skill level. Even if everybody else is only... you know moderately below you. Now I'm talking about true skill level, not delusional skill level. I don't mean where you think you are. I mean where you actually are and where everybody else on the table is. So let, let's say on a scale from 1 to 10, you're a 7.5, and, and then you're playing with 8 players at the table who are a 5. There's a very good spot for you. Everybody would agree that's a good spot. I'd say it's a great spot. Much better than a table where it's uh, you, the 7.5, uh, two eights, a nine, and four ones. But most people would, would prefer the game with the four ones. Anyway, getting back to the rake argument, what, what Negreanu was trying to say is if you raise the rake and scare away some of the top players who say, oh, the rake's too high, then the game will get so much better to where your win rate will improve so much to where you can still do better overall, even paying more rake. That's what he's trying to say. On the surface, if you don't think about it, it could make sense. The reason it doesn't make sense is that you don't get that many people just quitting because the rake went up too high. You'll have people continuing to try to grind it out and then realizing that at the current rate of rake, they can't win or can't win enough and quit. But then if everybody abandons it and it's all fish, then some will come back and try again. So it's not like someone just quits and never opens the table again. So there's a constant adjustment to this back and forth. 
And what ends up happening when it's all said and done is just the casino gets more money. The poker room gets more money. Because if it is still beatable, if the, if the game gets good enough to where it's still beatable with the rate being high, then people will come back. So what Negreanu is saying sounds good, but that could only be true if people will just leave and never revisit the issue again. Never come back, never open the software, never talk to friends how they're still doing in there. Then once they leave, they've committed to leave forever. But that's not, that's not reality. So, so his argument fails. That's why it's so stupid. More rake is never better for the player. Never. Okay, moving along here. Still with us, uh, Trader Risky? I'm here. Yeah, I wonder how long the billboard's going to be up. I could, I could ask seriously, serious. I just talked to him today. Uh, I wonder how long the billboard's going to be up. I, I would guess he probably bought it for the whole World Series. I mean, that's got to be at least ten grand a month. I'd imagine. Yes, I think probably more than that, but who knows? But yeah, th- those billboards are expensive, especially that's, that's a good spot to have, too. It's not quite a freeway billboard, which is probably more expensive, but this is right on Flamingo, right off the freeway. So, I have to think that's expensive. So, that shows you how much Doug Polk hates him. Like, Doug Polk did this because he hates Negron. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure he enjoyed the accolades he's getting. And he was building this up. He's saying that something huge is about to happen. You know, wait till Negreanu sees what's happening next. He, he was saying something's about to happen, and he was implying it has to do with Negreanu. So we knew something was going to happen. I think it was like a day late, so people were kind of mocking Polk. And for, so where's the big news, Polk? Like, yeah, they were mocking him about this for like a day. And then this dropped, and everyone couldn't believe it. <laughs> so, this was a great idea. I, I would have never thought of this, to troll someone with a billboard. It really was a great idea. And when I first saw it, I'm like, wait, is this a Photoshop? No, no, it's it's there. It's real. If you're in Vegas for the World Series, go check it out. Go go drive a Flamingo by the Rio. You'll see it. So that's incredible. And you have to have money to do it, as Trader Ruski said. It's not a cheap thing to do. It's not a cheap troll. You can troll people for free on forums or on Facebook or Twitter. You can't troll them for free on billboards. But if you if you got money, and if you hate someone enough... And you have an angle to troll them with, and uh, hitting them with a billboard in front of the casino where thousands of poker players are going to be is a pretty effective troll. But I mean, Negreanu, he's, he's got to be furious. I'm sure he's at Choice Center, like, just having them help him calm down through this. Choice Center, give me strength. I must get the hate from my heart. My intense hatred for Doug Polk. And seriously serious, who I, I hope die a long, painful death of cancer, but I can't think this way because that's that's wrong to have those toxic thoughts. But that's what I hope, he probably says. I mean, the, the level of hatred he must have for the two of them at this point has got to be off the charts. Like, I... I look... I can't tell you what's in Negreanu's head. But let's say either Seriously Serious or Doug Polk was diagnosed with terminal cancer tomorrow. Not only wouldn't Negreanu feel bad for them, I, I, I'm pretty sure he would feel happy. I'm pretty sure he hates them that much where he'd be pleased by that news. 
I, I don't think they will be. I don't think Sirius is serious or Doug Polk's getting cancer anytime soon. But if they were, I, I have to think that Negreanu would probably have a smile from that. I, I have, he must just have intense hatred for them right now. Because Negreanu, you know, even though he likes socializing with people and likes uh, having fans around and treats them very well and, and all that, he, uh, he has an ego. Like, like most of these top poker players do. And this is the first, like, real sustained attack on his reputation that has occurred ever. So that, that's, that's got to be tough. It, it does suck when you win something big and then just something happens the next day to kind of ruin it. And they didn't know this when they bought the billboard. They didn't know it would be like immediately following a big win of Negranus, which is even better for them. Because they're, they're, they're ruining his savoring of victory. You may think, oh, well, Negranu, he, he just won $2.7 million. He can just say, ah, who cares? But no, it's actually the opposite. It's actually just, it ruins the celebration for him. It ruins what should be a very happy week in his life. So, everyone, the, the, that was, unlike the Chris Ferguson apology, the billboard prank was received very positively. A few people bashed Doug Polk and called him names. and uh, But considering how many fanboys Negreanu had, Polk got a really positive response to this. Because some of his other trolling of Negreanu gets mixed response. You have the people praising him, you have other people who give him a hard time. Tell him he's uh, obsessing over this, that uh, he's just doing it for attention, he needs to drop it, You know, he's being immature. I, I, I see those accusations leveled at Doug Polk. People call him a douche, you know. So this one was met with pretty high acclaim, almost universally. This is why Doug Polk did a great thing by hiring Seriously Serious. Oh wow! That, see this. See this is why you guys should have played the free roll. Only twenty three people played. I knew there was going to be a small field today. I think it's a record low field. Belly buster. I, know, I, I didn't even play. I opened it up. I forgot to re- forgot to <laughs> register. Then I looked. It was two o'clock. I'm like, fuck. So, so belly buster. Just to show you, it's not rigged. Even though it's running on his own computer, uh, he finished fifth. He was the bubble boy. The the winner. Midwest hustler won. Mulva came in second. Manx came in third, and Ek one came in fourth. So, uh, yeah, I told you guys. Only 23 people. So you had like, even if you were a totally average player, you had better than a 1 in 6 chance of cashing. In a free roll, that's good. We've actually given away far more money than any other poker radio show or podcast out there, if you think about it. I've said this before, but it's true. You can look it up. To try to find one that's given away. And I don't mean tying it to some kind of promotion where where they benefit. To. I, I mean just a, a straight-up giveaway over time, over the six and a half years this has been going. So thank you to Eric Benzamokin. Thank you to everybody else who's donated to the free roll in the past. Okay, so I want to talk about uh, Phil Helmuth again. And 
I just realized I haven't been noting down the times I've been starting things. God damn it. That pisses me off. I'm going to have to go through this. <sighs> I'm not looking forward to this one. <laughs> I'm going to have to go through this. and I forgot I, I, I forgot about it. I didn't even allow this time today to do this, to go post all the timestamps. I was even bragging to people at the World Series who were talking about the radio show. They're going, well, it's a long show, though. You know, I, I like the show. It's just kind of long, and that's, that's why I don't listen all that much. Well, now there's timestamps, and now you can. Now you can just jump to where you want to listen. I, f- I forgot to timestamp it as I was doing it. Ugh. Okay. So let's talk about Phil Helmuth. Phil Helmuth got himself in controversy because he is charging an obscene markup. Markup being what when people buy pieces of you for tournaments where they're not buying it at... Uh, exactly the rate you pay to get in. So a very simple example, a $1,000 tournament, if there was no markup, 1% would cost $10 because 1% of 1000 is $10. And that would entitle you to 1% of whatever that person cashes. So markup is introduced to where the player feels he has an edge on the field and also to account for his expenses aside from the tournament, such as lodging, travel, food, etc., uh, so, so markup both compensates the player for their time and for their other expenses. The kind of standard markup that we've seen over the years, and this is what I charge, is 1.2, meaning it's 20%. So where you'd pay for a $1,000 event, you'd be paying $12 per percent instead of $10. And there's been a lot of debates about markup and at what point is markup too, way too high to where nobody could justify charging it, no matter how good they are? And we've seen some people charging 1.4, 1.5, meaning 40 50% markup. And a lot of times these are players who aren't even that good and definitely can't justify charging such markup. I and mean, it's one thing if you're one of the top players who's consistently cashing and, and final tabling. It's another if you're uh, just kind of okay and still charging... 40% markup. That's pretty obscene. Uh, there's also been debates about, you know, do you have a right to charge that markup? Is it a scam? Is it a semi-scam? Or is it just what the market will bear? If you just overcharge for something and people are dumb enough to pay for it as long as they really understand what they're getting, is it a scam? And that, That's a reasonable argument. I, I, I've, I can understand it both ways. On one hand, maybe you're taking advantage of people who don't understand that such markup is crazy, especially if you don't have a tremendous record. And then on the other hand, you can say, well, look, people understand they're paying this much, they get this percentage of you, they can do the math themselves, and if they still want to pay it, fine. Just like anything else, there's, there's plenty of stores that overcharge for merchandise or, or services that cost far too much money for what they should, and people pay it. So should poker markup be the same way? I'm not going to really have that discussion here. That's another discussion for another time. But uh, Phil Helmuth took it to the next level with markup. Now, there's no question Phil Helmuth is a very successful tournament player. But Phil Helmuth decided that uh, he's going to sell to the public. And Phil Helmuth, in deciding what markup to charge, you like this one, (laughs) in deciding what markup to charge, he decided upon uh, 1.8 being 80% markup. (laughs) 
<laughs> so, as you can imagine, he took a lot of heat. A lot of heat. And he even did some things that were worse than just the markup. So, th- this is what happened. Uh, Phil Helmuth was selling uh, these pieces on uh, a site. I think it was Ustake. Let me go see which, which it was. It's one of these sites open to the public. Yeah, it was Ustake. So that means anyone could buy pieces of him. And it, what's also funny is Phil, who has so much money, was selling these pieces at markup to like like 10k events. So it's not even like he was needing to play a, a huge event, and the only way he could get in was by selling pieces to the public. He, he was doing this for events he could easily afford to play himself. So why why jack the markup that high? If you really want to give pieces to fans so they could buy a piece of you, why why not do it as something reasonable? How's that? How's this going to hurt you? Even if you could get people to pay that much, but um, so he charged 1.8. Uh, he, he charged 1.8 markup to a, a 10k hyper turbo. So the very very fast structure. So already this is stupid. Right on the surface, it's stupid. He's selling pieces, which he obviously doesn't need to do with all the money he has. But fine, you could say, all right, uh, he doesn't need to, but for whatever reason, he wants to sell the pieces. Fine. Uh, if you're just doing this because you want people to have pieces of you and the, you, know, you want them to have fun, or maybe you want to help promote you stake, fine. But, but why charge it at one point? How much is he making from this? So uh, he sold – how much did he sell? Um, I, I don't even know how much he sold of himself in this. But uh, he sold at, at 80% markup for this hyper-turbo. Now, what else is Phil Helmuth known for? Well, a lot of things. He's known for – Terrible behavior at the table. He's known for winning a lot of bracelets. He's known for being the face of UB while they're ripping everyone off. But what else is he known for? He's known for showing up late. Phil shows up late to every tournament he plays. Every single time. Not just because he's running late or you know something happened. Every time he intentionally shows up late. I think he does it because uh, he feels if he shows up fresh that he has an edge over those that have been there a while, especially towards the end of the day when people start to get worn down. And that uh, whatever chips he could have made in the early stages, uh, he makes up for by being fresh. That's, that's my guess. He's never explained it before. But that's my guess. The problem was that he showed up so late here, that uh, and, and because the, it was such a fast structure, it was a hyper-turbo, that uh, 20% of his stack got blinded off. So he sold for 80% and then showed up so late that 20% of his stack got blinded off. <laughs> This is a 10K event too. Like he's he's selling the the pieces. I don't know for publicity or just just to add some fascination to the public for his. I don't know or to promote you stake. I don't know. See, he charges 80% markup, which is insane, and then shows up late and 20% of his stack blinds off. But then you say, okay, well, at least then you get Phil Helmuth uh, and and his expert no limit poker play. So at least you have that, right? No. For some reason, he just didn't have his A game that day. 
and he proceeded to passively call and, and fold hand after hand after hand until he was short stacked down to about uh, 10 big bits. <laughs> then, on his way out the door, when he was uh, being interviewed, he took a shot at these uh, German players who play those big high roller events that uh, they're inferior to him because when they play these big events, they only have small pieces of themselves. So therefore, they're inferior to he to him. <laughs> so f- this is what Phil tweeted on May 28th. He said, hmm, I've sold two tourneys on U-Stake, both WPTs, and cashed for over 50000 both times, 12th and 7th place. I showed up on day two for both late, late. Does that mean I didn't put some effort in? And put some effort was in quotes because people asked him why he didn't. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you in a second what he's responding to. He says, great returns for those who invested. And yes, I'll probably show up late. <laughs> uh, so this came from the, the original tweet bashing this was from Scott Seaver, who I usually don't like and don't agree with. But here he was right. He said, here's your regular reminder that when Phil Helmuth trashes people for having small pieces of themselves in a super high roller, he's 100% guaranteed to have the smallest piece of himself in any single person that played the event. Hypocrisy. And then Peter Soros wrote more so the in response to Joey Ingram saying, more markup is better? I don't know much about markup. And Peter Soros said, more so the irony of talking down to players who only have 10% of themselves in a 300K while he sells at 80% markup to a 10K hyper turbo. Now, these are good points. Uh, I, I guess he finally explained why he showed up late. He said that he had sleep apnea. He has sleep apnea. And that he plays better when he shows up fully rested. <laughs> the reason that's funny you can go to sleep anytime so okay let's say you have sleep apnea and you need extra sleep because you keep getting woken up and you don't get good nights of sleep so you need 12 hours in bed when others need 8 I'm just making this up okay alright well let's say the tournament is starting at 3pm that day okay so go to sleep at 2am which is plenty late Sleep till 2 p.m., wake up, go to the tournament, get there by 3. <laughs> I don't understand why he has to show up late. I would understand if it's like a back-to-back tournament situation where he needs some sleep in between. But he'll show up to the first tournament of the year that way. How does that make sense? I still think it's that he just doesn't want to play for many hours in a row. He also said he has the highest ROA in history. That's return on investment. And he's made his investors millions of dollars, so therefore 1.8% markup is a great investment. <laughs> Scott Seaver also wrote, When Phil Helmuth charges 1.8 markup for a 10K turbo knockout, there should be an SEC investigation because he's literally defrauding people out of their money. You should be embarrassed to hustle people out of their $20 investments. Absolutely pathetic. Well, I, the SEC thing is stupid, but... He is right. These people are investing at yeah, $20, $30, $40 at a time. Why are you doing this, Phil? What, what's the most you're getting out of this? I don't even know what percentage he sold of himself. Let, let's say he sold half of himself on there for 1.8 markup. Okay? So half of himself without markup would be $5,000. The 
0.8 markup would be another 4,000. So it means he's collecting uh, 9,000 and only giving away half of it. So great. It's almost a free roll for him. He gets to enter for 1,000 and get paid half. For the average player, it would be a spectacular deal. But for Phil Helmuth, who has a reputation to uphold, not always a good reputation, but a reputation, this isn't worth it. He shouldn't do this. Even I wouldn't do this. I'm nowhere near the name Phil Helmuth is. But I wouldn't do it because of the embarrassment it would cause. I wouldn't want to walk around the Rio and have people looking at me and thinking, hey, this is the guy that tricks people into paying 80% markup for him so he can pretty much free roll these events. Look at this unethical douchebag. Like That's what people would think of me. I, I wouldn't want that. Even if no one said anything to me, I wouldn't want that. And I don't have the big name like Phil Helmuth does. I don't have the money like Phil Helmuth does. Phil Helmuth wrote on Twitter, I do believe it's a good investment, and I like having a, bu- a bunch of U-stake investors along for the ride. It gives me extra motivation. Hashtag win for the fans. Yeah, that's what he's doing, winning for the fans. Someone also pointed out, well, I'll get to this. This is from Matt Berkey he went back and forth with. Uh, Phil said, uh, I posted two 10K, li- two 10K tourneys lifetime on U-Stake and cashed in over 50,000 both times. I have the best ROI in history. See USA Today article a few years back. <laughs> yeah, like USA Today is the authority on everything poker. Uh, I believe markup is warranted. You, ha- you have an issue with that, but you use the word cannibalistic. Really? So that was in response to a tweet from Matt Berkey. Uh, Matt Berkey came back with, one, though the free mar- market dictates people are free to do as they please and you're worth the, what the market will pay, it's critical to, to growth and protection of our market and ecosystem to point out valuations that cannot ever be seen as a fair return. Number two, 30% of the prize pool is distributed via bounties and is non-progressive. I didn't even know that. <laughs> that means that every hand missed is EV lost. That what he's trying to say here, in case you don't know bounties very well, bounties, you get money every time you knock out a player. Well, that comes out of the prize pool, which is fine, but that means when you're not there to knock people out, you're missing out on bounties. So those bounties just disappear from the prize pool while you're there. Well, if you show up late and finish first otherwise in a no-bounty tournament, then you didn't lose anything by showing up late. But here, by showing up late, you did lose something because you missed the opportunity to knock out these players that have already been knocked out, and the bounty the money that's already been gone. So... He's saying that uh, 30% of the prize pool is being given to bounties, Matt Berkey's explaining. So right there, a lot of that is gone for Helmuth investors because he shows up so late and can't get those bounties. He says, uh, late registration is not only blatantly disrespectful to investors but bordering on thievery. At the valuation price, it would imply 1.8 is discounted on, from the on-time price. So he, yeah, Matt Berkey brings up a great point that not only is he charging 80% markup, but he's showing up late – throwing away equity from the bounties. So therefore, what Phil's trying to say is, I show up late and I give up the bounty equity. So had I shown up on time, I should actually be charging more markup. He didn't say that, but that's what Matt Berkey is saying that Phil Helmuth must think. The truth is he didn't think this up at all. He just pulled the number 1.8 out of his ass. But that's That's true. It's worse than 1.8. It's 1.8 and then not getting actual value from the tournament because those bounties take money out of the pool before Phil even shows up. 
<laughs> so Phil responded with this. Ryan, as often is the case, I disagree with the math. <laughs> I like morons love to say that. And Phil's not a moron, he's just delusional. But morons or people who don't want to really think about what they're discussing like to just say I disagree with the math, as if math can be subjective. Mathematics is very, very it's the one thing that's not subjective. Right. It's very concrete and straightforward. I had this stupid issue at the supermarket a few months ago. I, there's this one person who's like a night manager there who's like dumb as a brick, this woman, and I hate having to deal with her. Whenever there's a mistake, she will always take the position I'm wrong. And then no matter how many times I try to show her the math doesn't work out, she just won't agree. So I, I was in a big argument with her over something that was uh, substantially wrong with my bill from the supermarket. And she was refusing to help me. Just kept saying, nope, nope, you're wrong. Nope, nope. And I kept trying to show her. No, I don't want to see. I already looked. I know I'm right. She kept saying. Thankfully, an employee who actually worked under her came over and said, hang on, let me take a look. He goes, no, I'm sorry. He's right. Referring to me. And they, so she goes, what? He said, yeah, he's right. And he tried to explain to her. She was so dumb she couldn't understand. So she just responded to him, well, you do what I want. I disagree, she says. And I said, how can you disagree, disagree with basic mathematics? You can't disagree. It's, it's, it's either right or wrong. <laughs> so you've got your own employee here telling me that I'm right, and you, know, you won't even look at it again. So um, I'll tell you, last time I had an issue with the supermarket, I, I noticed that a different person was the night manager. She couldn't have gotten fired because it's, it's like a very strong union there. But I did suggest – I went to the general manager over this because this woman was so obnoxious to me, like really, really obnoxious. Just basically basically saying, no, 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 you're wrong. No, I don't want to look again. Nope, I don't, I don't care what you can show me. I already – I've made my decision. Like it was really pissing me off. So, And I was 100 percent right. So I, I went and complained the next day to the general manager and uh, I suggested to him. I said this other person here who I know works under her, he understood it fully and he got it solved and he was very nice and polite. He should be the night manager. So – he last time I needed help at night, he actually was the night manager. So maybe maybe the guy took my advice. Anyway, all right, Jeff. I have, I have to go to one of the tangents. Yeah. How do you have multiple issues with all the managers at your local supermarket? Well, no, it was not multiple. There's just mistakes made where where something's wrong with the bill, or, or there's some kind of deal that you don't end up getting. Things like that, and then when you bring it, and then they what they the, the cashier is not empowered to fix it. I wish the cashier was, but they they tell the, they they tell you you have to go to customer service. The cashier can fix it if it's during the transaction, but once once they've printed out the receipt and you've paid, you have to go. You have so to what, get like a discount's not applied or something, right? Right. Things like that. Yes. So okay. uh, one time I had some free certificates I got for something, and I turned them in, and they didn't come off. So things like that, and uh, and and the problem is when you get her, she just. Immediately decide you're wrong, won't look at it, or just looks super fast, is really dumb, can't figure it out, makes it a rash decision, and then won't look at it again, no matter how much you object. So, uh, and then gets really rude with you too, like just really nasty, like she's the genius and you're the idiot. So, so anyway, that's 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 how it happens, and uh, um, it's just the principle. I don't I don't like people doing that to me, where I get shorted some money and then they just shut me down and won't even listen to me. And treat me like I'm the dummy here. So I said, no, you can't do that. Part of your job is charging me the correct amount of money and, and not uh, not turning it into a, a pissing contest of who, of, of who can understand the bill better, which 
in her case, it's always me. So <laughs> she had no idea what she did. <laughs> so, so, so anyway, uh, Phil is doing the same thing here. I disagree with the math. No, how can you disagree? It, it, what what he's saying makes perfect sense, Matt Berkey. So he says. I believe that for $1 invested in me at the World Series in Hold'em tournaments, I've cashed for over $3. I realize that I'm an outlier on the ROI chart, but it's a fact. Hashtag PH outlier. <laughs> so, and then he blocked Matt Berkey after that. He just, he wrote that and just blocked him. Uh, I'll tell you this. Regardless of what his ROI is, I doubt it's it's three to one. That's I, I, I sincerely doubt that. But regardless of what it is, um, that's just being results oriented. <laughs> and you have to look at each individual situation. Here in this situation, he showed up to a hyper turbo, which is which plays a lot differently than uh, a slower hold'em tournament at uh, at the World Series. A lot differently. Uh, Phil clearly wasn't even ready to play those. He's just not used to them, and he played very poorly at that. That's you know, I think between just showing up and not playing his A game and also not being used to the hyper-turbo format, he got just crushed out of there very fast. He didn't understand. You can't just sit there and wait for hands. And you know, he, he had 20% of his stack blinded off, which is a huge mistake uh, by showing up late. Uh, missed all the bounties for the first several hours. Again, big mistake. So you can't talk about yeah, this is how well I've done overall in Hold'em tournaments. In, in this tournament you sold for 1.8, you screwed up big time in many ways. That's all that matters here. And and Matt Berkey and others proved it. So Helmuth looks like a fool again. And everyone's laughing at it. Now, uh, regarding his play, uh, someone was asking... Uh, this was in the uh, high roller. Actually, this wasn't in uh, this wasn't in the hyper turbo. There was a he was getting close to the TV final table bubble, and he was folding too much in many people's opinion. So Poker News asked him why he folded pocket queens to a four bet shove nearing the final table bubble. Now, I don't, I don't know the stacks and everything, so don't ask me, So, um, or, or this particular player he was against, but listen to this description. It's, it speaks for itself. They asked him, why did you fold those queens to the four-bit shove near the TV final table bubble? This is a different event, but yeah, I'm talking about the high roller event. He says, if I call with the queens, I'm going to have four million, but there's a 40% chance I'm out if he had ace four, which he said he did. <laughs> There's a forty percent chance that he's going to lose against Ace Four with Queens. You really think that, Phil Helmuth? He's the guy. I guess when the guy four bet and, and Helmuth folded, the guy claimed he had Ace Four. So, <laughs> um, he's saying, look, even if the guy had Ace Four, I was still only a sixty forty to win. I guess that's more math that. Phil Helmuth disagrees with and people say otherwise. But that's kind of strange. I don't know if he's just saying stupid things or if he really plays believing this. I mean, how could you end up being as successful as Phil Helmuth has been in No Limit Hold'em if you really believe that you're only 60-40 against uh, Ace-4 with, with pocket queens? Uh, I, 
if you know the person has Ace Four, then you should be absolutely ecstatic at any time in a tournament to call with Queens preflop. But you and one other guy, and he's shoving, and you're a super user, and you can see he has Ace Four. There's never a situation where you would fold that, except in a mega satellite where you're about to cash. Other than that, there's never a situation where you would fold queens to ace four. No, it's not forty percent. The ace hits. So it's it's pretty surprising he thinks that. Let's get the exact odds on this. Let's see, pocket queens. I do it right now. Should have done it before the show, but you know, I go. I always produce the show during the show. Let's let's even. Give Ace Four suited of a different suit. Yeah, even that is uh, is sixty seven thirty three, which is very big difference from sixty forty. By the way, sixty seven thirty three. If you take Ace Four off suit, it becomes seventy thirty. So he thought it was sixty forty. <laughs> so he's actually justifying it that is a, he a and the reason he said he didn't want a sixty percent chance of winning was that he said I'm going to have four million if if uh, uh, if I call with the queens if I win but otherwise I lose he, yeah, th- this way I was never all in and I have three million for folding. He says, so I play differently than everybody else. Sometimes you have to maintain your stack and figure out how to get there without playing a huge pot. <laughs> the last statement's kind of true about some of these no-limit events. That Especially like slow ones, like the main event. It's better to find ways to slowly chip up than get yourself in huge pots unless you really have the other guy crushed. That's the way a lot of people are playing the main event nowadays. If you play the main event now, you'll see that the play seems surprisingly passive. People don't put a lot of chips in. People play cautiously. But that's not because everyone's scared money or fish. It's just they've realized the structure's so slow they want to wait to where they really have a lock on something. Or they find little spots to chip up. And that's what I did for the first two days last year. I didn't get many hands... In fact, I missed a ton of flops the first two days of the main event last year. And I finished with a pretty good stack at the end of day two and the end of day one. But I I finished well on both days because I was finding small ways to chip up. I was constantly looking of, okay, um, I missed this flop, but I think everybody else missed it. I'm going to bet. That's how I was chipping up. Or I've hit this hand, but I'm only going to put minimal chips in because I think there's a decent chance this guy's got me. Even though on the surface it seems like I'm good, I, I think there's a good chance this guy's got me. And it turned out I was right most of those times. So, first two days I did that well. Third day I didn't do so well. So he's right about that part, but first of all, this wasn't the main event. And, and, and second, uh, you know, you're near the end here. When you're in the later stages, then you can't do that anymore. The later stages, uh, the blinds are too big. And uh, at that point, you've got to go in with the queens. 
Especially if you think the guy might have something like Ace Four. If it's like a super tight player that you think is only doing that with Kings or Aces, then the fold makes sense. If it, if it's someone who often is Ace Four in his range, <laughs> then then you've got to then you've got to do it. All right, moving along. If you take a look at my uh, Twitter. You'll see I posted a picture of a, a playing card at the World Series with a big crease in it. Looks like someone took their nail and just scratched a big crease in it. I found several hands in a row The cards kept having these creases. I said, oh boy, here we go again with the playing cards. Every single year it seems like the World Series, the beginning, there's problems with the cards. They can never just settle on a type of card that works. The amazing thing was last year after denying that there's any problem with the cards that were getting marked unintentionally really easily and after saying they're not going to change them right after saying that at the 10K events they brought out events from they brought out cards from storage from 2005 <laughs> and it's funny cuz I recognized them because that was my first year at the World Series so I'm like oh I rem- I remember these cards this is like my first year at the World Series now and you could feel they were better quality and they, they didn't get marked easily. So I'm like, how come in 2005 they could solve the problem and in 2017 they could not? That was my thought last year. How many times in life is there a problem you cannot solve? The identical problem. How can you not solve it 12 years later? There should be progress over time. Things like that should get easier or stay the same. They shouldn't get worse. If there were quality playing cards in 2005 that could be made, you should be able to, as a very large company as Caesars is, for a very profitable event like the World Series, you should be able to buy those same cards in 2017. If you look back and say, look, in 05 these were very good quality. No one complained in 05. Why don't we bring those back? Why don't we find out exactly how those are manufactured and have them exactly to those specifications? Why not do that instead of just bringing out the remainder that you had in a warehouse for the last 12 years, which is what they did? So this year we're back to 2018 cards. And again, problems. Now, I will admit they felt thicker. They felt like they were better quality than the cards last World Series at the beginning. But they were still getting these markings on top. And over and over and over again, so I pointed it out and said these these have got to be replaced. Now, I don't think these were... Intentional markings, because they were not on key cards all the time. It seemed very random. Like, the first one I saw was a 9, which is a very inconsequential card in 08. Uh, the, the next I saw was a 3, which which is a consequential card. Uh, but the next one I saw was another 9. So if you're going to be marking cards in the deck, you're not going to be marking 9s. That's not going to give you much information in 08. Because the reason is most people are folding 9s in 08. And if they have a nine, it's not likely to affect the hand that much. What you, what you want to know from your opponent is, uh, you know, do they have an ace? Do they have a deuce? Do they have a three in their hand? That, that's what you're looking for. You're, you're not looking to find out if they have a nine in both cases. Unless there's like two nines on the board. So I believe this was unintentional, but there were a lot of cards marked. And when I mentioned it, other people at the table said they had seen that, but they just didn't say anything. Because they saw so many, they were afraid there was nothing that could be done. So I, the floor man, you know, they kept coming over and replacing them. I didn't see any other tables doing it, which is kind of weird. 
So then, after several times of this, and I, I could tell the floor was kind of getting an attitude, like, but I'm like, look, this has got to be done. Like, you can't just say this is the way it is. The cards just keep getting this way. This, this is affecting the game. We can't just have it where there's big creases on certain cards that get marked. Intentional or unintentional. Like, okay, let's say I didn't say anything. I would know to look for that marking now, that particular marking of where it is on there. And it's, it's pretty prominent because of the, the the light would reflect off of them. Like, if I was looking for it, if the person was close enough or at an angle where the light reflects right, I could know they had that nine of spades in their hand. Or the next one I saw the three of diamonds, I would know they had that. That would be big information in some cases. Now, I, I'm not a cheater, so even though I didn't mark it myself, when I saw it, I brought it to the attention of the dealer who, who got the floor. So I just wanted to mark cards out. I, didn't, I did not want to take advantage of it, even though I wasn't doing it. Uh, I also, of course, thought that someone might have been doing it to take advantage, and I wanted to prevent that as well. But I said, whatever the case is, they've got to stop this in some way. So finally, the floor, after seeing this happen over and over, and they claimed it was you know, really just our table, they said, someone here is just probably accidentally doing it by the way they're gripping the cards. So they actually had each person fold slowly and have the dealer inspect all four cards when they'd fold to see which one gets marked. And they never identified the culprit. They got it down to three. Like they figured out the dealer just didn't do it well as far as inspecting. So, um, But they were able to narrow it down to three seats that it had to be one of those three. Fortunately, I wasn't one of them. But uh, uh, So someone must have just been putting their nail on the card or something and not thinking about it. Anyway, after enough shaming at the table, it stopped. Don't think it was intentional. I guess it's impo- I guess it's possible, but uh, it eventually stopped, and I was looking for it, and, and there wasn't any more markings. But it, it took a while, and it was slowing down the game, and it was very, very annoying. But I will also say that I don't think these cards are, are still good enough quality. I, I bet the 2005 cards would not have been marked this easily. The 2005 cards seem like you'd have to really try to mark them. Where it has to be intentional. These, it seems like if you just handle them carelessly with your fingernails, that it can get marked, which I think is what was happening. So, this is one irritant with the World Series. Yes, I know the cards are an expense because you have to buy it for so many tables. And you had to have so many different decks that you had to keep replacing them. I know it's an expense, but you make so much money here. It's part of the cost of doing business. And if you could buy quality cards in 05 when the event was smaller than it is today, you can buy cards in 2018 where you're making so much more money. It's not a good place to skimp. Here's another dumb place they're skimping. The, 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 the cocktail servers. Or I shouldn't say cocktail. The drink servers. You used to have so many of the drink people walking around waters in their tray, they take orders for you, they bring you soda, they bring you alcoholic drinks if you want. You know, Very easy to find one. Now it's so hard to find them, yet what is ever-present everywhere are the massage girls who are working for a third-party company and are you know, paying to be there, basically. I don't know if the girls themselves are paying or if the uh, they were employees of the company, but it's a third-party company staffing it. There's tons of them constantly walking around. Need a massage? Need a massage? Need a massage? Last year, they were obnoxious enough to tap Brandon on the shoulder during an event. It pissed him off, and I complained about that to Seth Polanski. But this year, they did not do that. But the, if you even glance at them, they ask, do you need a massage? It's really annoying. There's so many of them. 
and it's very expensive. That's what very few people do it because it's so expensive. So tons of massage girls, but very, very few drink servers who don't even make much money. So why, why skimp there? It, it's, it's stupid. Speaking of skimping, the King's Lounge, which is where the High Limit Games are, this is associated with King's Casino, you know, owned by uh, Leon Sukernik, the uh, bet welcher. They have a 75-150-08 game that goes there that several people I know play in. And it was reported to me by somebody there. I have not confirmed this myself, so take this as an unconfirmed report. I, I was going to go check it out for myself, but I didn't have time. All I've done is uh, eat, sleep, and play the 08 event since I got here. But the King's Lounge, they used to charge, and when I say used to, I mean as of last year, they charged... Uh, $7 per half hour in rake, which is $14 an hour. Or it's not rake, time charge. Okay, A time charge means they don't rake your hand. Just every half hour, you, you cough up $7 per player. And people were happy with that. That, that was a pretty good uh, rake, $7 per half hour. Now, 08 is a slow game. 08, you don't get that many hands in. Because of uh, all the splitting of pots that has to go on and, and stuff like that. They've got to deal twice as many cards, which takes extra time. And they have to split a lot of the pots, which takes time. You may not think it does, but add that up. All the time they have to spend splitting the pot, sometimes quartering the pot, that's a lot more time-consuming than just pushing it to someone. So you get in fewer hands in 08 than you do in a game like Limit Hold'em. So $7 an hour was the time charge before. The time charge now, one year later, $14 a half hour. It went up by 100%. 7 per half hour to 14 per half hour. That makes it $28 an hour to play there. Which is brutal because you're not getting many hands in. And now it's 14 per half hour. Now, yes, that's about what commerce charges for equivalent games. But in Vegas, the rake is lower. You won't see a time charge anything like that at the Bellagio or the Aria. So you might ask, what do they say to justify that? Why is their time charge so much higher than equivalent games at the Bellagio or Aria? Why? Well, their answer is that it comes with a buffet at the King's Lounge. <laughs> so I guess they have a buffet there that you can get food from at will. But uh, according to my source, the buffet food is actually leftover food from, uh, from elsewhere. It's not even food made for the buffet. It's, it's basically leftovers. So, to get leftover food in buffet format, you're now paying double rake. Even I could not eat enough to justify that. 
And you guys have seen me on Live at the Bike. Again, I haven't checked it out, but I, I was told to go there and ask about the rake, ask why it went up, and then go take a look at the buffet and ask where the food came from. Those are my instructions from the person reporting this to me. They, they said, you're going to want to know about this. You're going to want to make fun of it on your show. But go look for yourself, they told me. Go ask these questions to them. That's what they told me. And I was totally going to do it. I'm still going to do it. Uh, and, and I'll report any discrepancies. But that, that's what I was told to do. I just didn't have time. You should bring one of those temperature thermometer type things you put in a turkey. You know, and then you could go in. You can see how warm the appetizers are. Yeah, they're probably still warm under, under the heat lamp. Uh, but I'll, yeah, I'll, I don't know, though. You know, I hate – I'll tell you, when when food gets older, when it's been sitting out a while, it really does make a difference. Uh, some people may think it doesn't, but it really does. And uh, fresh food always tastes better. Like if you go to a pizza by the slice place and you get a slice of pizza that was sitting out under the heat lamp for three hours versus one – or forget it, three hours, so 90 minutes and, and versus one that just came out of the oven, there's no question – which is going to taste better? The identical pizza. No question the one for, uh, that just comes out is, is much better. So anything that's kind of warmed up under heat lamps right after it's made, and then you get it later, uh, especially if it's frozen, rethawed, or anything, then it's a big difference. So Keep that in mind. I'm surprised they even kept their association. Well, I'm not surprised. They shouldn't have kept their association with King's Lounge after what came out last year about Leon Sukernick, the owner of King's Casino, of what he did to Aussie Matt Kirk with welching on that uh, loan that was given to play poker. The World Series should have just disassociated themselves with King's Lounge. They don't want to do it because King's Lounge pays them a lot to have this promotion. I want to talk a bit about uh, World Series of Poker Fantasy Leagues. Uh, This has gotten very popular. It's not a new concept. It's been around for a while. But I've really, really seen these fantasy leagues get popular. There's several of them running. Uh, Negreanu runs one. Uh, I know David O.D.B. Baker, my favorite guy, he runs one. He was sitting kind of behind me at the 08 event. People kept going up to him, giving him money for it. Uh, I know there's one on 2 Plus 2. These are getting very popular. There's different levels of buy-ins. You can buy in small. There's some small buy-in ones. There's some really big buy-in, like 25k buy-in ones. And and it's just like other fantasy sports, where you are picking players, who are then given some kind of points based upon what they achieve at the World Series, and then you add it all up, and if you have the most points, you win. That's that's basically how it works. So this is getting more and more popular, and uh, a lot of them have like auction style where you bid on players with uh, in, in fantasy dollars, where a one dollar player is the cheapest, and then it goes up from there. And it was interesting. I was at one of my OA tables, the one that had the most known players. It was my second table of day two. It had Ryan LaPlante. It had uh, Jeremy Osmus, who made, made November 9 one time. Uh, it had uh, Chris Vitch moved over with me from the first table I was at with him. So they were all having discussions about fantasy WSOP. And uh, 
There was actually a discussion about Ryan LaPlante himself, who went for like $5 in one of the leagues, and how that was very much an undervalue. It's kind of funny hearing Ryan talk himself up about it. I was undervalued. I should have gone for more than $5. You know, it kind of sounded like he was bragging and being a douche, but the truth was he was right, because when you have a guy who plays 45 events, that's a very big edge, especially like a 45 event player who's at least decent. And, and, you know, Ryan LaPlante's a good player. He's had good results the last few years. So, um, this isn't like a fish playing 45 games. So, uh, the more they play, the more points they're going to earn. Like a guy who hardly plays at all, no matter how good he is, is not worth very much fantasy wise. Uh, they all have different rules about how the different buy-ins of, evex, of events f- affects it and the f- field size, how it affects it. They all have their different ways of calculating it. But the key to winning these fantasy leagues for the most part as is with all fantasy sports, is to get what's known as sleepers. And that is players you get that are not expected by most to be of much value who are of great value. So there was talk at the table like someone like Ryan LaPlante would be a good sleeper pick. That $5 for him uh, in that auction would would have been very, very good value-wise. And we're talking about before the World Series starts, not based upon how he does this year. So... This has gotten just very, very big. And I was sitting there at the table, and I was thinking, I didn't say it out loud. I was thinking, I wonder, I wonder if anyone is stupid enough to have bought me in a fantasy auction. Now, what do you think, Trader Do you think, do you think I know of anybody who bought me in a fantasy auction, and not even as a joke, like that's someone who really bought me as, as, a, as a player? Do you think that? I don't know. I don't think you have a big enough schedule, Jeff. Right, I, I don't. So this year is a bigger schedule than before, so at least that. But, uh, yes, yeah, someone actually did. So there's a radio listener who messaged me that said they got me, uh, I, I assume for a dollar, but they, they got me at a, a fantasy auction and that they were very happy to see I cashed in my first event. So I don't think they're going to get that many points for a 59th place cash out of 9-11, but still, uh, get something. It won't be zero. And uh, so I, I hope I can perform for those who bought me in a fantasy auction. It actually feels good in a way to think that people actually bought me in a fantasy auction for anything. You, you know you've made it when you're, you're being bought in a fantasy auction. Right. Now you could say uh, bracelet winner and fantasy uh, drafty. Yeah, I, I, I could even spin it a bit further and say that uh, I'm in people's fantasies. <laughs> so... I'm not participating in this. Maybe I should. You know, maybe I should. Like when I was hearing about some of the bad teams that were chosen, like someone was talking about how Max Pescatori was chosen even after it was announced that he's skipping the World Series. Like, how do you do that? How, how do you choose someone like that and not Google them and see that Max Pescatori is? I think he's staying back home in Italy because of a family member being sick. Uh, so, like, how do you not do a little bit of research to find these things out? It's, it's one thing if you pick them and then you get the bad luck that. They can't come because a family member got sick. But when you know, when you should know this beforehand, and you don't, that's that's pretty bad. Unless you're putting in like twenty dollars and don't care. But uh, these are like higher buy-in leagues that they were discussing that people made idiot picks like that. Uh, but but uh, and then there's also discussion of, of Ryan Laplante and others who should have gone for way more that did not because they just aren't huge names in poker and people don't realize how big a schedule they're playing. So there may actually be some value in doing some of these leagues. I just, I just never had much of an interest in it, and the reason I didn't is just kind of because I'm, I'm not a poker fan, 
And I, I know it sounds strange to some people. I do a poker show. How can I not be a poker fan? And I just, I just kind of feel like I play it and I talk about it enough to where it's hard to be a fan. Uh, so I don't watch poker on TV or poker go. And the funny thing is once, you know, when I'll turn it on occasionally or I'll watch hands on YouTube, then, then I kind of am interested and I, I want to watch how it plays out and I, I like the commentary. So once I'm watching, I kind of enjoy it, but I don't have much of an urge to go watch it. And I'm just not a fan of poker. I, I, I just, I'm a player of poker. I'm a media member of poker. I'm not really a fan of it. So that's, that's, I kind of saw this as like a fan thing. But when I saw all these like well-known players, and I don't mean like, you know, super A-list players, I, I mean like the players I knew who were pros, who were respected pros, who are going up and giving like David Baker money, or who are participating in the Granu's expensive league, uh, that they're doing it. I and mean, these guys aren't poker fans either. And, yeah, they're doing it. I, I think they're just doing it because it's fun and, and because they may think that they have an edge in who they're picking. My only problem with doing this, you know, I, I kind of now have a little bit of an urge to do it next year, but my only problem is I don't keep up on some of these players well enough to know who some of these sleepers are. So, like, I, I probably would get someone like a Ryan LaPlante cheap and feel proud of myself, but I don't know enough of these types to do it. I, I would kind of need some help from someone who... Uh, knows these players and could point out players like that, that they know are going to have a big schedule that are decent players that I could get really cheap. That's where where you're really going to succeed. It's a combination of of the higher dollar picks or the higher early round picks of the players who are are going to play a whole lot, guys like Negreanu who are going to play a lot and are going to succeed, uh, but are going to go for a lot of uh, either early round or or high dollar, depending on the way it's done, And, and then making very good sleeper picks. That's how you win any fantasy league of any type. I, I I play fantasy baseball every year, and that's what it is. You've, you're you're you know, you've got to get the Max Scherzer types uh, on pitching and the, the the Bryce Harper types on hitting to uh, and have them succeed that year. That's important, but then you've also got to get the the cheap one dollar, two dollar, three dollar, four dollar players that perform like they're thirty dollar players. That that's actually a very big factor too. If you don't have that, if you don't have both, you're not going to win. So same thing in this uh, these World Series fantasy leagues, and I I'm, I don't know I'm considering doing it next year. It's getting very popular, and I haven't heard of any scam recently involving any of these. And if you are going to join one of these fantasy leagues, make sure the person holding the money has been around a long time and has a very very good spotless reputation for honesty with money. So. You don't want someone who's an unknown. You don't want someone you've heard some you know, kind of bad things about regarding their honesty with money. I, it doesn't matter if they're a douche. You don't like their personality as long as they're honest with money. Like I'll give you an example. David Baker. Okay, You know I don't like the guy. You know he doesn't like me. Okay, uh, Would I trust him holding my money? Yes. So those two don't necessarily go together. You can have people you personally like that you wouldn't really trust holding your money, and you can have people you don't like that you would trust holding your money, because they're two different things. There's a appealing personality and trustworthiness. There are people who would trust me to hold their money that do not like my personality. In fact, uh, one time I actually asked her to bet between China Maniac and David Baker, where China Maniac said, you know, uh, can Todd escrow the money? He said, yeah, because he knew I wouldn't cheat him. So... I will say, hey, Negreanu's not going to rip you off. David Baker's not going to rip you off. Uh, people like that, if they're running these leagues, you can feel good that they're not going to stiff you. 
anyone who runs one of these leagues that has any history, I don't care if it's years ago, any history of ripping people off or uh, slow paying or anything like that, never, never get involved. Or someone who's known to be broke. Even someone who doesn't have a bad history but is known to always be short on money, I wouldn't do it either. You want someone who is known to be financially stable and has a very good long-time reputation in the poker world to hold the money. That's that's one strong piece of advice I will give as far as these fantasy leagues go. So I want to talk about the, uh, the payout room. Here's a compliment, everybody. A compliment is coming for the World Series of Poker. I'm about to say something nice about something, a change the World Series of Poker has made. Can you believe it? I, I See, I'll report the good and the bad. So here's the good. In prior years, there was a room which was used as a combination payout and VIP registration room. VIP meaning diamond or seven stars. For many years, you could just walk in there no matter what you were. Then they started having a security guard posted at the door to make sure you had a diamond card. There's still a way you could sneak in the back. But anyway, I didn't have to worry about that because I, I am a seven star, so I was entitled to be in there. The lines are much, much shorter in there. So sometimes on these high-profile events like the Colossus, there's a line that stretches forever, and you'll wait on hours for it if you come at the wrong time to register for the event. And you can just skip all that and stay, stand in a relatively short line by going into the Diamond 7-star VIP room to register, which is what I had been doing. But there was one very frustrating thing about the room, and that it was combined with a payout room. So... What I would find is that they would often be in conflict, it would be chaos, and often one line or the other would not move, either the payout line or the registration line, because the other is hogging up all the cashiers. Or sometimes you didn't even know when to go next. So like, a cashier would open, and you think, okay... My turn, but wait, what about the other line? What about the what about the payout line? Maybe they're next. Or am I next? And you kinda of feel like an asshole just like forcing your way up there fast. But then you kinda of have to or else the, the other line, you know, jumps and, and, and takes it anyway. So it was always chaos in there, and I always tried to make sense of it. I would get up there and I'd say, Okay, I don't understand. who are you serving here? Are you serving the people registering events for, for Diamond Sevens or are you serving the payouts? Two totally different things. Well, it's both. Well, but there's two lines. Who's directing them? Well, it's just kind of whoever gets up. Like, it was never clear, and it, w- it was tilting. I-, I had a time I was like second in line to register it for an event, but there's a huge payout line for something like Colossus that just dumped a whole lot of people because the bubble just burst or something, and, and-, and they were just letting one after the other after the other go and holding up our line, and I'm going, look, I just want to register. Why can't you have at least one cashier dedicated to the registration? And I couldn't get straight answers. It was just, it was chaos. I gave up even trying to solve it. It was my job to solve it. I I wanted to see it solved because I was using that room. But I kind of dreaded going in there, but yet I had to because it was still better than the main room in most cases. But I hated getting payouts. Like, I I I didn't hate getting paid, but I, I hated the idea of going in there at a time it might be busy with registrations and uh, have that mess, and I would also hate the reverse of going in to register when there's payouts going on. 
And I always thought to myself, why are they combining this? Why are they in the same room? And if they are, why don't they separate them in some way? Why are they so incompetent to combine them and have the same people serving everyone? So finally in 2018, someone said, hmm, that was not a good idea. So they changed it. So they actually put a physical wall. They actually have a, a physical barrier now where it seems like two different rooms. It was so weird. So I walk into the same entrance I always walk into with a security guard in front to the VIP room to register. And it looks tiny. It looks tiny. It looks like a different room. And and I, I think I might be in the wrong place. I think I may have gotten turned around. I really thought it was late at night. I thought, I thought maybe, maybe I got turned around. I, I just, what had happened was, let, let, me, let me go to a tangent for a second. This 08 event I cashed in, I almost didn't play it. I, I made a promise to everybody that I will only play events if I am physically healthy to play them. And if I am not feeling well, I will not start an event. Now, if, it, if I'm in an event and I start to feel worse during the event, obviously I have to make the best of it. But if I am sick or tired or something else is wrong before an event, I will not play. Well, on May 30th, just as midnight was striking, like the night of the 29th, early morning of the 30th, I started feeling real weird. I wasn't in Vegas yet. But I, I started feeling nauseous. I didn't throw up, but I felt nauseous. I felt lethargic. I, I really did not feel good. It wasn't another cold. It, I just... It felt like a, some kind of stomach virus or something. Anyway, I, I determined a little bit later it was food poisoning. With kind of mild to moderate symptoms. And I say mild to moderate because I didn't throw up. I didn't have a fever. But uh, I, I had a lot of nausea and a lot of lethargy. So I had very little energy and, and I was nauseous. I did not feel good. Uh, when my girlfriend even touched me, she said my skin kind of felt different. <laughs> uh, and she said I had a different look to me. There was something... That was wrong. Well, the good thing about these kind of stomach issues, they usually resolve themselves in like a day. But this one did not appear to. So here we were on uh, later in the th- on the thirtieth, where I was scheduled to drive to Vegas, and I still had it in the evening. And I thought, uh oh, I am going to be playing the 08 event on the thirty first, three p.m. And I also have to drive a long way to get to Las Vegas. How am I going to do these two things feeling like this? So I waited it out all the way till almost midnight before leaving to drive to Vegas. Finally, around then, it subsided somewhat. I wasn't uh, totally healthy yet, but I was okay enough to drive. And indeed, I made the drive without any issue. I got to sleep very, very late. And uh, fortunately, the event was at 3. I couldn't have done this if the event was like at 11. But fortunately, with the event at 3, I was able to sleep to like one forty-five p.m. So I got enough sleep. And uh, when I woke up, it was gone. So even though I, the first night I slept, and the other night of the 29th, 30th, that uh, did not do away with it. In fact, it got worse. Uh, sleeping the second time put a complete end to it. 
So when I sat down to play at 3 p.m. on the 31st, I had no more symptoms of it. But uh, had that still been there, I wouldn't have played. Wouldn't have had this cash. So I'm, I'm happy the food poisoning I got, which I'm pretty sure was food poisoning, I, I'm happy that that came not a day later. <laughs> I'm happy it came when it did. I mean, I'd rather it was the day before even, so I didn't have to worry about uh, driving or anything, but at least uh, it was gone by the time I entered the event. Now, why was I saying that? Oh, oh, that's why. So, when I got to Vegas, it was very late at night. I think I, by the time I walked into that room to register, it was like 5 a.m. And I had just driven a long way, and I was just, you know, still feeling a little bit of this uh, nausea, so... I'm in there and I'm thinking, am I just kind of out of it? Did I walk in the wrong room? So I even asked him, I go, is this the VIP room? Yeah, yeah, you can register. I don't know, but is this the VIP registration? I didn't really need VIP registration at that time because it was 5 in the morning, but I wanted to make sure I was in the right place. And she, she says, yes, it is. I go, oh. And I looked around and I think all these weird kind of new-looking walls surrounding me. I go, wait, did they, did they split this place up? Is, is the payout now on the other side of this wall? And she said, yes. So they actually erected walls, which I... To me, it looks like a lot of work. They could have just separated the cashiers. Just put a, a little uh, yeah, pole with a, two poles with a strap attached to uh, separating the two areas. That would have done it. But no, they, they built walls. <laughs> it's like two separate rooms now. No, well, they have air walls in a lot of those ballrooms. You think that's what it? Yeah, it, it was kind of. I'm weird. sure. I'm sure it has to be. I don't think they would have put any money out. I'm gonna have to look at them again, unless it's like a permanent change. They figured it was worth putting the money into. But I, I, I thought, wow, that's uh, that's amazing. It's like a separate room. And so I got to experience both the VIP room registration, which yes, five in the morning, no one was there, but still, there's much nicer experience in there. And then I got to experience the payout room, which also went smoothly. So great. They fixed it. They finally fixed it. I've I've criticized that for years. I'm not even sure if I mentioned it on this show. I think I have before, but I can tell you I hated it. So thankfully, they finally improved it. Final World Series topic, and then we'll get on to the rest of the topics, and then uh, I will end the show. Uh, we got a little while till the show ends, but not that long because I got to do some things. Um, hallway vendors. If you've gone to the World Series. And you walk through the hallway, you will see all these vendors on the side, which paid a lot of money to be there. A lot more than you think. And they will be very aggressive trying to get you to buy or at least look at their merchandise. Now, these are not employees of the World Series. These are not employees of Caesars. These are independent businesses which have bought space. However, they don't just have a right to act the way they want because they're still on a Caesars property. And they're harassing people here to play Caesars events. So Caesars has to walk the fine line of making money by selling these booths and at the same time enforcing bad behavior by these vendors that piss off their customers. Last year, Brandon was really harassed by some of these vendors to where, before I even got to the World Series... Brandon was there before me. I, I emailed Seth Polanski about it, and he said that uh, he will look into clamping down on this and getting them to stop this behavior. And to his credit, he, he got it stopped because by the time I came, there was a vast improvement. So 
how do you handle these over-aggressive hallway vendors? Because keep in mind, they have to sell a lot of whatever they're selling, whether it's a product or service, to break even with what they paid to be there. So they've got to move a lot of this stuff, and just waiting for people to come up to them often won't make enough sales. So how do you handle them if you just want to walk to your tournament and buy nothing? And by the way, I would suggest just ignoring them all. I, I hate to say it, you know, I know these are businesses trying to survive, but the truth is uh, most of what's being sold there is crap. Like these, these chargers they're selling, you could get much better ones, much better made ones for cheaper, like on Amazon. Like there's good companies making these chargers. For example, Anchor, A-N-K-E-R, they make good chargers. I, I have a few of those. Like, you know, $40, $30 for these uh, cell phone uh, tra- uh, backup battery chargers. That's like while you're sitting at the table, you can charge your phone without plugging it in anywhere. Um, you shouldn't be buying these for $100 or, or even if they sell it for the same price. I don't even know what they charge there, but I believe they're more expensive than what you'd be buying from Amazon and much worse quality. So uh, these hallway vendors, they're incorporating in their price what it costs for them to have their station there. You're basically paying for a convenience to buy this stuff there, so, so don't. Uh, but if you want to, fine. I'm just warning you. However, these hallway vendors, they don't have a right to harass you. They don't have a right to aggressively bother you as you're walking through the hallway. And you don't have any kind of obligation to treat them nicely. And when I say nicely, I mean you don't have to be polite. So if if you're walking by and they go, hey, would you like to come over and take a look at these chargers? You don't have to stop and say, no, thank you. Or, I'm sorry, I already have. You don't have to, just keep walking. You don't have to answer them. It's the equivalent of like a telemarketer calling. You don't have to say, no, thank you, I don't need this service. You just hang up. Some people are afraid to do that. Some people think they're being rude. No, it's not. The, the rudeness is bothering you when you're definitely going about your business and don't really want to talk to them. So you're walking just straight ahead, and, and they're trying to get you to stop at their booth. You have every right to keep walking, even morally. So I would suggest don't make eye contact with them. If you make eye contact, they think you're interested. Walk, stare straight ahead. Even if you're curious what's on the side, just try to straight, stare straight ahead. Then there's much less of a chance they're going to bother you. If they do bother you, don't feel obligated you have to stop and talk to them. Even enough to say no thank you. Just keep walking. They're used to it. Tons of people like me walk by them and say nothing. If they will get in your way, as one did to Brandon last year, Brandon attempted to keep walking, one of them jumped in front of him, said, wait, 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 just take a look at this, please. That's a big no-no. So at that point, you got to say something like, please get out of my way, or I'm not interested, leave me alone, and then just keep walking. And then, go report them. Go report them, you can go into the... uh, um, for example, the World Series of Poker Media Room, which is, uh, you can ask anyone where it is, but it's con- kind of by where the payout area is, but it's a little further down the hallway. If you go in there, there are several Caesars employees, including Seth Polanski himself during the day. And um, you can ask them who you can report this to. If Seth is there, he'll take care of it. He's, he's very high up. Uh, it's not his area to take care of, but he, he'll get it to the right people. But you can ask them in there who we can report this to. Or you can just go into the 
the Amazon room or one of the other tournament rooms and ask a floor manager who you report this to and to bring a manager down. And they will tell these vendors to stop it. Uh, I haven't seen that happen this year, though. Joey Ingram reported there was a very over-aggressive phone salesman that I think he even interviewed the guy, but uh, it happened because the guy was over-aggressive with Joey. But don't, don't feel like these guys have any power over you. If they start talking, just ignore them. They try to get in your way, tell them to stop, and in fact, you can even threaten to report them. You can tell them you you know from the managers of the World Series they are not they're not allowed to do this. So I want to give a new update on the uh, potential hotel restaurant worker strike by the culinary union in Las Vegas that supposedly was going to begin yesterday. But uh, hasn't. They did vote to authorize a strike by a 99 to 1 margin. But all that's really doing is establishing an official strike date of June 1st where any concessions that are made end up uh, retroactive to June 1st. That's the whole point. They want a date they can retroact it to. So right now they're in negotiation mode. Basically what happened is the the whole strike is just a threat. It's posturing. That's, That's what it is. Not that they wouldn't do it if necessary, but it's mostly posturing. So it's basically saying we've authorized a strike. The union has authorized a strike. And therefore you must negotiate with us or we're going to strike and cripple the city. So casinos, watch out, we're serious or we're going to strike June 1st. Of course, the casinos, which can't handle a strike of 50,000 workers, say, okay, okay, hang on. (coughs) We will negotiate with you. So then they say, okay, but we've authorized a strike as of June 1st, so if we're not going to strike June 1st, then we want anything we agree to to be retroacted to June 1st. Okay, says the casinos. That, that, that's the reason for that date, by the way. So that Now anything they agree to will get backdated. Of course, they would have to be monetary things. Anything that's non-monetary can't be backdated because you can't go back in time. But uh, anything monetary will be backdated to June 1st. That's the whole reason for the June 1st deadline, which has passed. But that, it doesn't matter. It's all, it's all a formality. They're currently in negotiation mode. And it's very likely that there will be concessions from the casinos and the average Vegas vacationer will never feel anything from this. Uh, All the employees are still working as normal, even though June 1st came. They are still (coughs) working normally with the basic agreement that they can strike any time if negotiations break down. So, to put it simply, the 50,000 strong worker culinary union has the casino's balls in a vice, which is the whole point of this. Uh, However, there's been some progress. Caesars, which is one of two major strip casino companies, the other being MGM, Caesars uh, has come to a tentative deal with the culinary union. Uh, the Culinary Workers Union said it agreed with Caesars on what it calls <coughs> a historic deal that would last all the way through 2023. 
Should expire uh, May twenty May thirty first, two thousand twenty three. So five year deal. The existing labor contract already expired on May thirty first. That's the reason for the June first deadline. So the details were not released of this agreement, but uh, the union spoke. <coughs> Sorry about that. For some reason, I've got. A little bit of cough here. Union spokeswoman Bethany Kahn said in an email that uh, all nine Caesars properties in Las Vegas, it's Bally's, Flamingos, Harrah's, uh, Paris, Planet Hollywood, the Cromwell, the Link, Caesars Palace, and the Rio have made a deal with casino workers. This affects about 12, or, or sorry, more, but it's not casino workers, hotel workers, hotel and restaurant workers. The casino is not affected. This encompasses about 12,000 workers in this union. About 24,000 are affected at uh, MGM, about double of that. Which I don't quite understand. I don't think they have more properties. It probably, this, it probably has to do with the size of the properties. So MGM has not come to a deal yet, but negotiations are still... Continuing, however, they're, they're actually preparing for a strike. There's actually videos of, of workers getting signs ready and all that. And again, some of this is posturing. Some of this is just to scare the casinos. We're ready to strike. Here we are. Here's videos of us with, 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 with signs. Here we are. We're, we're about ready to pick it if you don't keep going with this. That's, the whole thing is a scare tactic. It, it, the whole thing is a game of chicken, to be honest. Uh, MGM, however, said in a statement on Friday that was this uh, just what was this a week ago? I think it was a week ago. Um, no, you know it may have been. It doesn't say which Friday. It could have been uh, Friday yesterday, June first. They said we. They said we've made good progress in resolving the remaining issues, and we will continue to negotiate to allow these productive talks to continue. <laughs> Uh, we remain dedicated to negotiating a contract that demonstrates our commitment to employees and their families while our company continues creating good jobs and future opportunities in Las Vegas. We remain confident we will reach an agreement. That was the statement from MGM basically saying we are still negotiating. Give us time. Now, the last contract was also five years for MGM. They, they had a contract with MGM that lasted from 2013 to 2018, the one that just expired. And those negotiations went on for months before a deal was reached until all the way November of 2013, even though it was retroacted. The union is still trying to scare people. They said on Twitter that preparations are being made for a possible large-scale strike. They had videos of them sitting in front of what's labeled strike headquarters. They actually spray painted that on a a bin over there, a large bin or wall or something, and uh, they're they're all in red holding up signs. They're they're really trying to scare them. The demands are in several areas, wages, training, Automation, believe it or not, they don't want to lose jobs when automation takes over jobs. And sexual harassment by guests. I guess they're having some of a problem with that and they want to 
have some sort of agreement of what will happen to guests who uh, act inappropriately to presumably the female employees. I'm guessing the union feels that not enough is done to aggressive guests. They don't want to alienate them, and they just basically tell them to take it, and the union doesn't like that. I don't blame them, though. That's, that's a good point. They also, of course, want more money. They want 4% raises for the next five years. That's 4% every year. They want automatic raises. The casinos had countered with 2.7%, uh, 2.8% raises, and the union said no. So that's one of the points of contention. It's not clear what they came to with Caesars. When was the actual last real strike of casino and resort workers in Las Vegas? That would be 1984, 34 years ago. Lasted about two months. But Vegas was much smaller than in 84. So I think all the strip properties you, you know of now pretty much didn't exist. A few of them did, most of them did not. The spending of the visitors in Las Vegas overall in 2017 was estimated at about $34.8 billion. So you can see how huge the tourism economy is here. And you see why the casinos are so nervous if 50,000 employees walk out. I mean, for once, that, that $34 million figure actually comes close to this soundbite. $100 billion! Yeah. It's about a third of that. Hmm. So that could really cost the city a lot of money. I, can you imagine being in all these hotels and the maids are on strike, the front desk is on strike, and the... The, the, the restaurant workers are all on strike. <laughs> you can't eat anywhere. You can't check in. You can't get your room cleaned. I mean, it'd be a freaking disaster. And they, they couldn't hire 50,000 scabs to replace them. It's, just, it's one thing if there's a small number of jobs that need to be replaced and you can hire non-union replacements, but 50,000 you'll never get. So that's why the union has all the power in this one. So I expect this to be resolved sooner or later. It looks like with Caesars, it's almost over. If you want to do sports betting in Delaware, good news, on June 5th, just three days from now, you can. Unknown to many, they actually had <coughs> sports betting in place. They just couldn't do it because it wasn't legal. They had the, the entire structure in place in Delaware. They were, they were waiting for the federal government to kill that PASPA law. And then Delaware could immediately just jump in and say, okay, well, we have everything set up. We, it, it's all been ready. And apparently it's been ready since 2009. In 2009, they had a law that made sports betting legal. They just couldn't engage it until it was permitted on a federal level. Now it is. So now they can do it. So unlike other states which have a lot of work ahead of them to write laws regarding sports betting and setting up the whole structure. They did everything. They've just been waiting. The process started in 09. I don't know when it was completed, but they are ready. The sports betting will be overseen by the Delaware Lottery, which isn't really good news. The lottery, they probably don't have that type of experience. But 
They will be overseeing <coughs> the sports betting, the regulation of it. Delaware Park, Dover Downs, and Harrington Raceway will all house sports books. Those are the three casinos, the three brick-and-mortar casinos in Delaware. Now, Delaware's a tiny state area-wise, by the way. I think they're the second smallest behind uh, Rhode Island. So, very, very small area-wise. So, three casinos there is even kind of surprising. They also operate the Delaware Online Poker Rooms, which are combined with WSOP.com, same player pool as the Nevada and New Jersey WSOP.com pools. So if you are physically in Delaware, you can go into any of these casinos and bet on sports starting June 5th. Right now, there's no plans immediately to provide online betting on sports, but I have to imagine that'll be brought forth sometime soon, just a matter of them getting it ready. And uh, there will be betting available in baseball, basketball, football, NASCAR, golf, boxing, hockey, and soccer. In addition, college games will be allowed. However, any Delaware-based school will not be allowed in these Delaware casinos. You can't bet on any school that's in Delaware. There are no professional sports teams in Delaware, so there's no concern about that. So this is all starting June 5th at the three casinos in Delaware. So it is starting, folks. We will finally be able to have sports betting in states other than Nevada. What about the integrity fee? That stupid, obnoxious fee that the professional sports leagues want taken off the top and given to them of every bet placed, win or lose? It is not clear whether that will be paid by Delaware casinos or not. It's also not clear whether we will see traditional 10-cent lines as you see in Vegas, or if the house juice will be worse in order to cover either this integrity fee or other expenses that they feel that they have. Hopefully it will be equivalent to Nevada betting, and then if that's the case, then maybe other states will follow and do the same thing. So this is this is important, not because there's a lot of people in Delaware, but to set an example in how sports betting should be done in states other than Nevada. Hopefully they will copy the Nevada model. So we will see. June 5th is starting. I'll tell you next week how that's going, if I have any information at that point. Let's see what else we got here. Um, this is the Did point. you have on the agenda, Druff? You heard about those two people that got killed at the uh, Circus Circus, didn't you? No. Why, why don't you tell us? I, I know nothing about oh. it. Two people got stabbed. I guess they were tourists. They were in like a tourist group. They didn't show up the next morning for their, uh, I guess, and it might have even been this morning to go on a trip to the Grand Canyon. They went into their room and they both had been stabbed to death. Wow. Is it known what happened? No, I, no. The last I saw on the news this morning was, and it was so weird because like they had, the sheriff was on there that there's, doesn't seem to be anything else to be to worry about. Somebody heard some yelling and arguing at the room at like two AM. But then it stopped and then they didn't show up and I think they found them the next morning. Like I guess that was either this morning, it might have been yesterday morning. 
Maybe somebody in the chat knows. Yeah, I'm, I'm reading the article here. It said that uh, a person reported hearing an argument from the hotel room at 2 a.m. wasn't clear who was involved. Uh, that there is no active threat to guest safety at Circus Circus. It's. It sounds to me. How like they make a statement like that? Well, I, I think that they have more than they're saying. I think there's pro- they probably convinced that it was someone with them and who killed them both, and it's someone who's not probably from an argument. They're not looking to like kill people like a serial killer. I think that's what they're. I, I well, I agree that when someone commits murder of two people, it's, and and is not caught, you can't just say there's there's no danger. But I, I think they're trying to say it's not a serial killer; it's just someone who probably fled and is trying to hide now from what they did. It's not. Uh, but at the same time, what if you happen to run into that person and they feel threatened? <laughs> There's always some threat. They're probably not a circus circus anymore. I think that's what they're trying to say. I think they're trying to say that whoever did it just ran away and is probably not going back there. So yeah, it's interesting. So yeah, that that is weird. Um, if it was some if it was some personal dispute, then yeah, there isn't much danger to the average guests at that or other hotels, though. It's not good to have that person running around Vegas. It's it's a little different than like a serial killer just killing people for no reason, or even someone who's robbing people and killing them. Where you'd have to think, what if it's me next? But yeah, I hadn't heard of that. But it's interesting. But it was these things are bound to happen every so often in Vegas, is, with all the tourists that come here, including a lot of unstable people come to Vegas. I think they get a lot more unstable people coming to this city than others for tourism. All right, so moving along. Uh, this is a, a stupid story. <laughs> it's the only way I can classify it as stupid. Not the story, but the information contained in the story. Boomtown Reno is a casino, as it would sound, in Reno, Nevada. So it's a Nevada-based casino. It's subject to the same laws and regulations as the casinos in Las Vegas. Pretty much the same, at least statewide, the same regulations. So that's why it was surprising to find out that the Nevada Gaming Commission came down on them for offering affiliate gaming, uh, affiliates of online gambling sites based offshore on their website. (laughs) I mean, how stupid could they be here? They had links on their website of, of Boomtown Reno to two uh, Curacao-based offshore gambling sites. And these were real money sites. I'm not sure what the two sites were, but they were operated by Affiliate Edge and Deck Media. So these are just on the Boomtown Reno site. And if you clicked on them, you could play these casino games. Now, it was advertised on the site as free-to-play online casino games. So this is what happened. Boomtown wanted to get people interested in playing casino games. So they, they had the idea, let's put up free-play online games on our site so people get, you know, they, they get used to playing free money online video poker, for example, and say, hey, I want to try to come to Boomtown and play the real thing. That's what they're trying to do. Okay, So they asked their web developer, can you put this up there? And the web developer's like, well, it's not really that easy. I can't just slap those up there. We, we have to go with an ex- We can't build this ourselves. We don't have that type of budget. And uh, 
we need to go with some existing service and just put it on our website. And they said, okay, we'll go ahead and do that. So um, this web developer who knew very little about uh, Nevada laws and Nevada gaming or anything like that found these free play online games and, and found that in order to put up these free online games on the Boomtown site, that they had to sign up to be an affiliate. So the, the person said, okay, whatever, I'll sign up to be an affiliate. And they figured the casino might even get a little money, so when people click through and play on them, that they, that they, you know, they get some kind of check for it. They probably were assuming they're just advertising on them or something, so it's not only is it uh, free to play online games they can link to, but uh, which is what they wanted in the first place, but they may even get paid for it if people, you know, from from the operators of these online games, uh, as like a commission for a click through. That, that's what the web developer thought. Well, it turned out that these weren't just free to play online games. There was also a real money aspect to the whole thing, and so what they were really doing is linking people to the free play online casino. <laughs> Or sorry, the real money online casino. So that, that's what they were doing. They were, they were looking for the real money online casino that also had free play games. And the web developer never bothered to look into that. They got a an affiliate check of like sixteen hundred dollars one month, and they're like, "Oh, okay, cool." <laughs> they just, you know, they just cashed the check. They didn't bother to wonder why they're getting that much money for housing these free play games on their website. So someone reported this to Nevada Gaming, and Nevada Gaming went to the website and couldn't believe it. That Here a licensed Nevada brick-and-mortar casino actually had on its website links to these offshore betting sites, which are super illegal in Nevada. And the state of Nevada hates, because they're competition for Vegas's brick-and-mortar casinos. So it's not just that these exist, that Boomtown was actually promoting them and receiving money to promote them. They may not have realized what they were promoting, but they were receiving money to promote these offshore casinos. So, what's even more amazing is that Boomtown was not as ignorant of this as you may think. In addition to that check, which came in, which they didn't bother to ask questions about why they're getting so much money, there were two customer complaints... To Boomtown itself, people went to Boomtown and said, hey, um, I just want to let you know these sites you're linking to are real money and they're illegal in the state of Nevada. You should really take these down. And Boomtown did nothing. (laughs) Why, I don't know. But in March of 2017 and April 2017, they received at least two customer complaints about these links. Finally, August 27th, 2017, they realized it and took it down. (laughs) So the Nevada Gaming Commission is coming down pretty hard on them. Uh, This is what, uh, these are some quotes from the Nevada Gaming Commission complaint about the situation. It appears Boomtown ceded complete control concerning links to online gambling sites to one employee of Boomtown, its graphic and web designer, it appears that this person had little, if any, understanding of gaming laws. It further appears that Boomtown exercised little, if any, oversight concerning this employee's actions with regard to placing links to online gaming on Boomtown's website. 
Boomtown failed to maintain sufficient level of supervision and control over its website and its employee to prevent links on its website leading to other websites, which apparently allowed real money wagering in apparent violation of the Wire Act. Boomtown further failed to inquire into the nature of links on its website when it received payment from the websites and when a patron of Boomtown questioned the legality of the activity of one of the links. Boomtown, so, so they're, uh, they're likely to get a pretty big fine for this whole thing. And as far as uh, Boomtown's potential to one day maybe operate any kind of uh, online um, version of, of a casino or poker room, it's unlikely they'll ever get that if they're ever interested. The Nevada Gaming Complaint said that this entire situation was, quote, an unsuitable method of operation. And they said, Boomtown's acts and failures to act reflect or tend to reflect poorly on the reputation of the gaming in the state of Nevada. It is unclear if anyone got fired over this. And sometime in 2018, there's likely to be the formal action against Boomtown. What idiots. I have a feeling the guy who received the complaints is probably the same one who designed it all. He probably, he probably got it like on a customer feedback form. Hey, what you're doing is illegal. Uh, no, I don't think it is. Okay, thank you anyway. What morons. Can you imagine a brick-and-mortar Las Vegas casino puts up ads for a, some sleazy offshore casino? And those offshore casinos are the worst. So many of those are shady. So many of those are scams. I, do not ever play like online slots on these offshore casinos. Online slots, online blackjack. That could be so rigged and you have no way to know. There's no one overseeing it. They can do whatever the hell they want. There's nothing you can do about it. So it's very possible they were linking to scam casinos too. I mean, they got 1600 something dollars in one month of uh, affiliate revenue. So <laughs> That's from people clicking those links and losing, by the way. Justin Bonimo, I want to talk about him a little bit. Uh, he has been known to act like a douche on social media, big-time social justice warrior, uh, was embroiled in a multi-accounting scandal, I think, in 2006, when he was much younger. But uh, he's been doing very, very well in poker. He's been playing a lot of high-roller events. He plays very, very high-roller events. I don't know who's backing him, but whoever is backing him is pretty happy right now. Because uh, Bonomo has has really had an incredible year uh, of 2018, which of course is not even half over yet. Uh, people are comparing this to Fedora Holtz's amazing year, but saying that Bonomo is even better. So Holtz isn't having a good year this year, but in, in, in his very good year, I think it was in 16, 16 or 17, whatever that was. So Justin Bonomo won the uh, Super High Roller Bowl uh, over Negranu. This was uh, the one where I was talking about where Negranu won uh, $3 million. Well, Bonomo won $5 million. And he won the Super High Roller Bowl Bowl China just two months ago for another almost $5 million. He has made 13 final tables in 2008. Uh, 18, I mean, not 2018. He's made 13 final tables. He's won six times. And in 2018, the first five months, he has cashed $13.8 million. Pretty good. 
He's now third all-time on caches in value, cashing almost $32 million. Daniel Negreanu has cashed uh, $39 million. Eric Seidel, $34.5 million. Bonomo's going to pass Seidel for sure very soon. Whether he passes Negreanu, maybe, maybe not. This is what Bonomo said. The all-time money list is definitely not a clear ranking of the best player in the world right now, but it still means a lot. Some guys say, oh, that's just about who plays the most high rollers. Well, I'm sorry to break it to you, Phil Helmuth. <laughs> he's, a, he's a, Amy, this is Phil Helmuth. Uh, but the people playing these high rollers are the best players in the world, and that's where we're at the top of the list. Sure, somebody who plays more of these events will have an advantage at, acc- at accruing earnings, but it really does entail competing against the best players in the world nearly every single day, and I'm proud of how I've done. That's kind of an arrogant statement. I mean, there's some truth to it that... Yes, you can play high roller events, but you've still got to beat a lot of really tough players. True. But at the same time, if you play tons of them and you've got someone backing you with a super deep roll, then you are you do have a huge edge. As far as moving up that uh, leaderboard. If you're a fish, you're not going to move up that leaderboard. But if you're a decent player, you're, you're going to cat in a lot of these and win a lot of these uh, over time. If you play enough of them. Uh, do I think that takes away from Bonomo's accomplishments? No, I, he, he's had an amazing year. Obviously, an excellent tournament player. So, I'm not going to take anything away from him there. I, I think his, he was overstating a bit uh, in his quote about this. It sounded a little too arrogant for my taste, but... Uh, you know, speaking of arrogant, and, and again, Bonomo was very nice last year. I played with him like four or five times. I just happened to get his table for more than half of my events I played last year. But he was very nice and soft-spoken there. But in a previous year, I think 14 or 15, he showed he got moved to my 10K limit hold'em table near the end of day one, and I was super short-stacked. And he gets sat down there. And it's a very talkative table, too. And the there's a moment of silence at the table where just nobody's talking. And he'd only been there, I don't know, a few minutes. And he says, you know, there's some people in poker that just, they just sit there thinking they're the best. And there's three people at this table who I know think that. I'm thinking, what a douche thing to, like, like why is he attacking three anonymous people at the table? And you can tell he's saying it like they think they're the best, but they're really not, is what he's trying to say. So I'm thinking, I wonder if he's talking about me. And he says, hey, Dandruff, uh, do you think you're the best? So, and I have a super short stack in front. It's not like I've got a mountain of chips in front of me. I've got a super short stack, and he's, he's trying to mock me like this. I, I got really pissed. I don't know who the other two players he was thinking of like that, but uh, he just says this out of nowhere. And I, I hadn't even been talking. I was just sitting there with a short stack, kind of depressed. I'm about to bust the event, and he just starts up with that shit. So he didn't do any of that last year. Again, last year is like a different person, but um, that, that did not sit well with me. And this is before I started bashing him on social media and on this show or anything. He just uh, he just started up for no reason. Anyway, uh, Helmuth made some comments recently, not 
mentioning Bonomo by name, but he said there's a fraternity of players that travel around and play in all the high rollers. I respect them, but I, th- but they think they're the best in the world, and I think there are 50 or 60 or 100 players that are better than they are that just don't travel around the world playing. The truth is it's very hard to tell who really is the best if, if there's a very big differential in the number of events played and the buy-in amount of the events played, especially if you're backed. It just becomes too hard to tell. If, if everybody's entering the same number of events or the same buy-ins, then you could tell who's the best over time. Uh, not like this. So while the people who are most successful on these high rollers are obviously excellent players, uh, it's true. You can't really compare them to some excellent players that just don't have the type of money to invest into it. But this, this really is an incredible year. Bonomo has conceded that he's been hitting everything. Uh... And when he does have big hands, they seem to hold up. For example, heads up with Negranu, Bonomo had pocket nines on a 976 board. Negranu was uh, very happy to see 8-7 on that board, 976, to give him the pair and the open ender. But uh, they got it in, and of course, brick brick. When you're running that way, it's always brick brick for the opponent. That's how Jamie Gold won, by the way. Jamie Gold won by aggression and the fact that no one ever caught up to him. Jamie Gold was good at getting it in ahead, but like no one ever caught up to him. There's there's one person in all the footage I watched of, or, or knew of of Jamie Gold that caught up to him. That was Brian Mikon, where Mikon got it in with him with uh, deuces against tens and flopped a deuce all in. That was it. Everybody else against Jamie Gold is just they'd have huge draws. They get it in brick brick every single time brick brick. So. It's a pretty nice life there when you're just uh, getting it in and hands very vulnerable and brick brick every time. Very sweet. So that's been happening for Bonomo and he knows it. But again, you, you can't take it away because nobody has ever won a tournament without running well. At least not a competitive tournament. Maybe a tournament full of fish you can bully down. But if you're going to win a major tournament, you had to have run well. You can also have played well, but you have to have run well, too. Saw 24 saying that Alan Cunningham screwed up and folded in a big spot against Jamie Gold. That he could have won. Well, finally, a security guard at a Texas poker room is accused of robbing a player who was uh, exiting the casino. Oh, that is uh, <laughs> that's pretty offensive. But uh, this is uh, a story that is uh, accused to have occurred. And, uh, I lost it, though. That's not good. One second while I bring this back up. I, I had all these stories up, and then they, they vanished right before the show. I accidentally closed something. I know, stupid, but uh, that's what happened. Let me get to the story here. Uh, Here we are. So, before I get to it, I have walked a number of times to my car with a very large uh, amount of cash on me. 
that I've left with the casino. It's because I didn't trust security not to tip someone off. So let's say I have $100,000 on me. And I go, I don't want to walk to my car with that. What if I get mugged? It'll be a disaster. So why don't I have security escort me out? Well, there's a few problems with that. First of all, that could make you a target where they may be looking for someone with a security escort and uh, ambush security and, and overpower them. And uh, at that point, security it, it'd be hard to hold security liable. So it, it already puts a, a, a target on your back that there must be a reason they're escorting you. Uh, second, and the bigger problem, is you don't know if you could trust security. How do you know a security guard does not tip his friend off to come over and rob you while security you know, supposedly tries to stop it and fails? But in reality, they're in on it. Uh, you don't know. So I decided it's better if nobody knows I have the 100000 on me. You know, What's the difference between me walking there with 100000 or with almost zero in my pocket? Uh, that I just go to my car normally. So that's what I've done. Now, if I can, I'll just take it in a check or I'll put it in a box. That, you know, Don't get ready to mug me in my car because it's uh, it's been a very long time since I carried that type of money to my car. I'm not sure if I ever will again. But uh, when I had done it, I didn't get security for that reason. But I always wondered if I was being stupid, if, if I was being paranoid. But maybe not. Uh, Texas has these poker rooms which are supposedly charity rooms. It's a loophole in Texas law which basically allows them to run poker rooms. And what they do is they do like a time charge instead of a rake. And so a guy was playing there. And there's a security guard named Charles Kleins Martinez, 24 years old. And when uh, 22-year-old poker player Tom Steinbach left the poker room, presumably with money, he and another person were walking out, a 41-year-old guy named Jermaine Spurlark approached them with a gun and said, give us all your money. Now, uh, Tom Steinbach didn't do something very smart. He ran away. When someone approaches you with a gun and says, give me your money, you just give the money. You, you don't run away or you can get shot. Well, that's what happened. Uh, uh, Steinbach ran away, and then Spurlark shot him. It's not clear where he got shot, but uh, um, it was something bad enough to where his, issues, his injuries were considered life-threatening. So it wasn't like he got shot in his hand or something. It was, it was shot somewhere where he could have died. But they got into the hospital and performed surgery, and uh, he survived, and everything's okay. I mean, he's still got shot, but I mean, he's not going to die. So, after shooting Steinbeck, I don't know if, if he stole money after shooting him, but, but Spillerark uh, ran away. But they did apprehend him. Uh, it turned out that this security guard, Charles Kleins Martinez, was involved in some way in this robbery. It's unclear right now what he did, but you know, my guess is he tipped him off or something. 
hey, this guy has money, he just won a lot, here's what he looks like, get him. Something like that. So this wasn't quite the situation of a security guard escorting you out and uh, and being in on the attack, but it could have been that just as easily. I guess they just figured it would be easier to identify, you know, one guy identifies who has money in the casino and, and the other guy robs him. So, Charles Clients Martinez has been arrested as an accomplice to this robbery. In fact, he's been, uh, they've both been charged with aggravated robbery. Not even, he's not even an accomplice, he's just charged with aggravated robbery because he was in on it. This did happen a little while back, this happened on April 30th, so it was about a month ago. I think we just lost Trader Risky. You there, Trader Risky? No, I'm here. My headphone popped out. Okay. I heard, I'm sorry. I, Could you repeat the question? No, no. I heard you there. I heard like a deer. There's like a little background noise the entire time while we've been on, and it just like went away. I, I felt like alone. It was weird. Like the background noise is almost like comforting. Like I felt like you're there, and then it just goes quiet. I just felt like I'm in a like in a dark room all by myself at all. Like no, that's silence. weird because I mute it when I'm not talking. But that's I guess weird. The sound comes through. Yeah, if it, it, it felt like it was like in the background, then just I got used to it, and then it's like silence. Okay, well, that's that's our agenda, and I don't have really time for anything else because there's a number of things I have to do, including put this damn show in the archives and go through everything that uh, uh, to timestamp it all. So, in fact, I'm not even sure if I can do that before the event. I'll see if I have time. Uh, so I'm going to end the show. Uh, thank you for listening to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. I want to let you guys know, and by the way, thank you, Trey Ruski, for coming on, uh, co-hosting with me. I want to let you guys know about the next show. It's going to be on June 7th, just five days from now, at 7 p.m. So if you think the show is a bit short, which it was for, uh, by our normal standards, time just flies by when I'm on this thing. But uh, June 1st, no, June 1st was the last show scheduled. It ended up on June 2nd, and June 7th is the next show at 7 p.m. The, the next show following that is not going to be until June 19th at 6 p.m. So we have, uh, we'll have 12 days in between shows then, but we only have five days until the next show on June 7th. And then we have another scheduled show for June 26th at 8 p.m. So uh, we may actually get out four shows in June, despite the World Series going on, and, and even one scheduled for the 4th of July, which is tentative, may not happen, but if that doesn't happen, there's one on July 8th. So we're gonna have, see, I'm getting the shows in somehow, even with all the World Series events I'm playing. So... Thank you very much for joining us, Trader Ruski. You got it. So you there for the duration drop, or what's your schedule? Can I'm you here. Just share for, that real quick before we yes, go. Yes, I'm here for most of the duration. Uh, there will be some periods I'm not here, like this. Uh, the starting from, I'll be here actually still this this upcoming weekend, like about a week from now. But I won't be available. I won't be playing poker. I won't be available. Uh, then I'm actually going to leave. But then I'll be back the next weekend. And then I should. Then I'll be here a while, and then I am going to leave like the final week of June, and then come back and stay for the rest. So it's basically, it's not even full weeks. It's, it's kind of like periods of like four or five days, like two periods of four or five days where I'm not going to be here. Uh, but other than that, I, I should be here for the duration of the series. So I, I will be here a lot. And if you guys see me, someone came up with a few people came up to me yesterday that saw me, and the day before that saw me that I've never met before. Uh, always feel to come up. Feel free to come up to me if you listen to this show, and you want to say hello. Just say who you are. Like, if some people just come up and start talking, and I've got to ask, do I know you? And then they explain who they are, they listen to the show, and that's great. Just just, say, just come up and start with, hey, you know, I listened to the show, and you've never met me before. Is that, 
I always, I'm sometimes embarrassed to ask because I'm afraid that maybe it's someone I met a few years ago and forgot, but no, it's usually new people. But yeah, de- definitely come up to me and say hello. I always like meeting the new listeners, and uh, I'm not going to see you as a bother, trust me. There, there's a tendency to think someone's a bother. It's a tendency to think you're a bother when someone's playing or on a break from playing because you know it seems like they're only concentrating on the tournament. The truth is there's a lot of boredom during the tournament, a lot of monotony. Uh, and during breaks, sometimes you just, you know, you, you got to go to the bathroom. Other than that, something you don't have much to do. So I'm always happy to meet new listeners. Just be aware, I, I may be like... Jeff, I can't hear okay. you. I don't know if anybody else can. No, they can always hear me. It's always me playing the, uh, the, the oh, sound. Okay. So, oh, that was the sound. Yes, that, that, that was the song to close it. But, uh, yeah, so... Okay, anyway, then I will sign off. I'll be there on the 14th late, and I'll be there for a week or two or... Okay. Maybe even longer. Okay, I look well, forward to seeing you, but I'll talk to you Nick. I'll talk to you in five days. Yeah, I'll definitely see you then. Okay. Thanks for Okay, Michigan. good luck. Bye, everybody. Thank you. So I'm playing Hello. tonight at 8 p.m. If you ch- check out uh, twitter.com slash dandruffpoker, twitter.com slash dandruffpoker, you will see how I am doing on the Mega Satellite. I'm not going to tweet that as much as the uh, regular events I play. It just feels weird to constantly update a satellite. But you guys invested in me, so I, I have to do it. So I will be updating sometimes during the satellite how I'm doing to get an idea of that. It's at 8 p.m. tonight. I haven't registered yet. I'm, I'm going to register when I get down there to play. It's Omaha 8 or better satellite. Mega satellite with a potential $10,000 prize. June 7th, 7 p.m. Pacific time. We will be back and we'll have another free roll. Thank you, Eric Benzamokin. Eric B. Or sorry, Eric at eblawfirm.us. Eric at eblawfirm.us if you need an attorney, especially anything gambling related. Or mediation or arbitration. So I hope I have more caches. I hope this is not my... One cash of 2018, that'll be depressing to go through the rest of the series that way, but at least I got it out of the way. At least there'll be no event where I think, oh man, if I don't cash in this, what if I don't cash at all? It won't happen this year. We've already got it done. It's in the past. It's over. Wish I did better than the 59th, but, you know, 59th not bad. Decent start. Someone told me I'm going to get 59th in the first event, the Omaha 8 or better. I'd say, great. Thank you for 59th. I will take it. I will move on. I'll try to even do better in the upcoming events, especially that damn 10K on Sunday. I want that one. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Good night, and shalom.